There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Buy something nice for your mother, okay? Thank you for tuning into Romancing the Pod. You had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey Randolph. And I'm Todd Schlosser. And this week, Mikey made us watch It's, it's a, a Wonderful, wonderful life. life. So I'm sure we've all seen this movie before. It's like one of those classics that everyone has seen. Do you remember the first time you've seen it? And Mikey, why did you pick it? Okay, I picked it. I don't remember the first time I saw it. I think my parents watched it. I don't remember the first time I saw it either. It's like one of those movies I've always have seen. Oh, I do. I saw it as a teen. I'll go into it. It's not a child or a young person's Christmas movie. No, it's not. I mean, because it's it's sort of a downer throughout a lot of it. I don't think it's a downer. <laughs> I just think it, I think it's your perspective. But I do think it's more. Its messaging is more nuanced, and I they really go into details about some stuff that unnecessarily like in the olden ways. Yes, I mean. I would say that this movie has a lot of pacing problems that I have with a lot of movies from this time. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're getting your five cents worse when you're going to the theater back then. You know what I'm saying? Like, they needed the air conditioning. <laughs> They're going for the full, like, three hours. Five cents if you get a cushion. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, they made it a spectacle back then. You know, I haven't watched Gone to the Wind the Wind in a long time either. I wonder if that would hold up. But this is, like, at a time when if a train shows up on camera, they're going to be freaked out. It might come through the screen. People <laughs> were just dumber back then. I love the film's message. I think it's aged okay. There's stuff that for the of the time is not great, but I mean, I think it's aged pretty well. The message is definitely like anti-toxic masculinity. It's like, you know, kindness is strength, you know, and like there is value in that. I would disagree with the toxic masculinity part, but sure. Well, I don't know. I think what you're seeing is less kindness is a strength in so much that maybe socialism is better than unfettered capitalism and that is a message i fully agree with yes i have fun facts about the movie's message about capitalism but anyway go ahead <laughs> yeah well there's that too but i mean like it really kind of portrays suicide in a realistic manner of when you're a person believe starts believing that their death has more value than their life that that is a realistic thing and that they're a burden to their family and to others in the town and they're hopeless. Like those are all huge risk factors, which it realistically portrays 
he's a man getting to that point. Yeah, it shows literally the steps through his life that led him there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for the time being. I agree, yeah. And like finding meaning is like the opposite of suicide. It's like finding meaning and hope in your life. And it is hard to see like the ripples of the good you do when you he, he's a good guy. And there's like stuff that's antiquated of the time of like sexism and like sure. stuff like that. But I think mostly as, as aged well and it has a good message, uh, but it is long. I will say that. And, I, and then it's just because they go really they're like, this is George Bailey. This is his whole life. Yeah, they could have kind of skimmed over some stuff. But I like the romance too. Mary loves him because he's a good guy. I do like his relationship with Mary. I yes. do think they are very cute together. I think he is annoying and she could do better, but fine. But he does love her, so great. <laughs> Paige, the movie shows she could have done better. She could have got yeah, she could have married yeah. a guy who got it on the ground floor of plastics. Yes. I don't know. I relate to a, a George Bailey who maybe is a good guy, but if, you know, he's got big emotions and sometimes he gets frustrated and yells at <laughs> his whole family in the town. But then all of a sudden he gets called right back into work to go do the whole thing and he doesn't make much money because he works at basically a nonprofit. <laughs> I do feel like Mikey overly connects to the main character. Yeah. If you're going to take it this personally, we can't do this movie. I mean, that's why I picked it because I, I I really connect with George Bailey. I think if it was made today, like not a remake, but like if like a modern take on this, him like the, the, their relationship, which I think is kind of center stage, would have a lot more nuance to it. Their relationship takes place over only 20 minutes of this two hour film. Well, you got to go through two hours of his childhood to get to the <laughs> yes, You fucking don't, by the way. This is another movie that implies that people are angels and I also don't we, like Yeah, that. I'm going to do an angel series like time, like Bonkers Time Travel Summer. I'm picking angel movies from now on. I am kind of excited about City of Angels, even though I don't find Nicolas Cage attractive. You hooked me with the story. We're going to do City of Angels. We're going to do the Adjustment Bureau. We're going to I do. I like the Adjustment Bureau, Mike. I do too. I thought it was. I good. like City of. Yeah, yeah. We're going to go do some angel movies and see what we find. We're going to do some research, listeners. Yeah. Like, we're going to figure right. it out. Yeah. After Christmas, that's where we're headed, at least with my picks. That's where you're headed. <laughs> You've decided you're picking a theme. We rotate. We rotate. And I people like time travel summer. <laughs> I think you like time travel summer. I only do this podcast for fun. Okay. It, I just think it's a travesty that Mr. Potter came back from the future with the sports almanac. And like that. <laughs> he does, like, in appearance, look like an old Biff Tannen or whatever that guy's name was. In right? the Depression, the stock, the stock market crash doesn't affect him. Think about it. Because he was already rich. Like what he yeah. does during the depression is what is what a lot of rich, rich people, people did. are doing now, you sheeple. That too. Mm. That Stand too. up, fight your landlords. Sorry. Okay, but I also need a place to live, and we're not at a point oh, where no, I can I just I... fight the landlords. <laughs> you don't have five thousand dollars, which is the price for the house that they were sell that God George damn, Bailey was I would giving a loan fucking to. Fucking love to find a house for five thousand dollars. I'd buy four. Uh it's <laughs> I was like listening to the prices of George and talking to Mr. Martini and I was like, $5,000, that's pretty good. I do love Gregory Peck as well. That does sound pretty good, the, the $5,000 house. But if you adjust for inflation, oh yes, that isn't 1947. That was like 1935 when they, because right. I looked into all this, right? Okay. So I wanted to get the adjustment right. What do you think $5,000 in 1935 would be worth today? $5,000 in 1935? I'm going to say $250,000. 
thousand. Okay. I'm gonna say more than that. I'm gonna say three fifty. Okay. And that is the cost of a home in America in in the like nineteen thirties, probably closer to the forties, maybe. That would actually be just over a hundred thousand dollars. It's a hundred and eight thousand dollars. <laughs> The housing market is out of control. Yes, it is. That's my whole yeah. point. Even yeah. if you adjust for inflation, our housing market is overinflated. It is wild. Uh, yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Me either. Anyway, so Todd, so you don't remember the first time you saw this movie. I know. I absolutely do not remember the first time I saw this movie. I remember watching it as a child. I was the youngest of my parents' initial set of children. Like the four kids that they had together, I'm the youngest of that group. So like we were watching these movies way before I even was forming memories in my brain. It's like in uh, in Silent Night, Deadly Night when he's fully a baby doing a voiceover. Yeah, and he's of, like, like, and I remember when Santa killed my parents. <laughs> right? yes. But like I was watching the movie probably as a baby. So like I have no idea when the first time I saw it was. But I can recognize that it is a slow burn, depressing movie that I love through the lens of nostalgia. And there's like there's also some really cool like for the time technical stuff that they did. Absolutely. That is like I think so great, but it is also you just have to remember what they were using at the time to capture these moments and it's insane yes. to me that they did that. And that's sort of one of the reasons I love Seven Brides for Seven Brothers even though it's like almost 20 years after this movie came out. Right. Like some of the shit they captured on a film camera on a Tuesday in July is like nuts to me. <laughs> you yes. know? So like I have a lot of that kind of love for this movie too but this is not a movie I put in because I want to have a feel good Christmas movie or whatever. That would be yeah. Claws. Or, uh, or that would be uh, Arthur the Christmas. Santa Claus, like the original Santa Claus. Sure, is one of yeah, my, yeah, yeah. But like, this is not one of my go-to feel-good Christmas movies. But it is a tradition movie for Natalie and myself. We watch it at least once a year, and I think that is yeah. because our families would watch it at least once a year. So like, it doesn't necessarily feel like Christmas time unless we we have watched or are planning to watch this movie. But this movie doesn't necessarily make me think. Of Christmas time, if that makes sense, because it is a little sad. Yeah, so I saw this movie for the first time as a teenager because yeah. this was not one of our family Christmas movies. Mm -hmm. I have zero nostalgia for this movie. In fact, we watched it when I was a teenager because my dad was like, oh my God, we've never shown you this movie. It's super famous. And then we sat down as a family and watched it. And afterwards, my dad was like, huh, I remember it being that depressing. <laughs> we were like, yeah, why did we spend two hours doing this? And then I never watched it again. <laughs> until today? Until today. Oh, because I, I was that. like, hard I pass. <laughs> I love hard it. Hard pass. I, I get that you don't like it, but you, you have to understand why many people do like it, right? Not really, no. I mean, here's the thing I will say. I understand. It is beautifully filmed, especially if you watch it in black and white, which you absolutely, absolutely should. That was how it was intended to be seen. I watched it in color for the first time last night when I watched it. I'm going to go back to watching it in black and white. Absolutely. Yeah. The color version is fine. The nostalgia didn't hit as much for me mm. because it wasn't the black and white version. I specifically chose black and white today because I knew that it was filmed for black and white. And so that means that that's how it was intended to be seen. And it was lit for black and white. And this movie, from a cinematic standpoint, is lit amazingly like I yes. know that's a really weird note to be like the lighting in this movie is beautiful but it is and it is well shot and every performance is great like there is nothing in this movie where people are doing their jobs badly let's put it that way like that it's not a, a movie that people set out to make and did bad that's not the case they did well doing what they meant to do 
I think you could cut an hour out of it. Yeah. And yeah. wouldn't well, miss it. I felt it. the same way about White Christmas that is also this long. So that's the thing. White Christmas is my nostalgia movie. You could cut an hour out of it, though. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would admit that. If you cut half the songs, you'd cut an hour out of that yeah. movie. <laughs> Which exactly. I would love. But then the film wouldn't make sense. But then the film wouldn't film make any make sense. sense. Right. Because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but here's my thing about White Christmas versus this. White Christmas, I am happy and Christmassy at the end. Yeah. This movie, I'm like, fuck, I got to go look at my bank account. Like, this movie <laughs> leaves me with the worst feeling. I've never felt Christmassy after it. But beautifully made. There is some fighting over the screenplay that I'll talk about in Fun Facts. Really? Okay, cool. Where there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen on this movie. Oh, interesting. And that's kind of why it ends up the way it does. Kind of all over the place a little bit. It's like the, the super all over the place. It pulls it back out for like the end. Like everybody comes to town. They're like, you're the richest man in town. Well, that's blah, why blah, blah. people only remember the last half hour of this movie. Yeah. Like people remember the pool and the half hour. And yes. that's when Clarence comes. I blame it on the fact that basically God and the other angel are like, get Clarence. I know he's a big fuck moron but like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was like why are we bringing the worst guy they should have brought in a wannabe angel that like already had a little bit of understanding about who George <laughs> Bailey was <laughs> that part is like, Clarence is as dumb as a rock and they're like but he's like got the faith of a child I'm like that's also saying he's kind of dumb dumb yeah well here's my so here's my frustrating thing of like cutting this movie and pacing because it is paced horrendously yeah it's pretty bad uh, half of those cuts could just be shortening existing conversation yes <laughs> like the conversations in this movie are repetitive and go on for way too long when he's talking to Clarence, by the way, Clarence is only in 15 minutes of this film. When he's talking to Clarence, <laughs> they have four different conversations that are almost identical about how Clarence is an angel who doesn't have his wings yet. Four of them. You could cut three of them. It's insane to me. Well, George doesn't believe him, Paige. I watched the film. That's fine, but have a different conversation about how he doesn't believe them. Don't have the same one four times. I don't watch a ton of movies from the time, except for like the big ones right like why christmas mm. this those are the christmas ones but like oh it's because a lot of movies from the time were musicals <laughs> right well that's like, why you, you know don't like watch the, <laughs> what's the one what's like the best like one of the best films ever made citizen kane which citizen is debatable because that's also a boring slog that most people shouldn't have to sit through but it is beautifully shot i get it and it was revolutionary at the time but who cares at now? the time yes it is historically significant right. and it is shot amazingly casablanca they're they're all very long but i get it because you know like dickens is very long here's the thing long does not have to equal paced badly no but like i think all movies in that time had a pacing problem up until like the 80s not all of them like a lot of 70s movies have a lot of pacing problems. a lot like of that. 70s movies do have pacing problems yeah I, yeah i there's no reason this movie needs to be two hours no <laughs> you could have done a montage of like him growing up and cut half of the stuff of the montage and gotten the point that he's a good guy yes 100 percent. i would have loved more time with him and mary yeah because they yes. are more interesting than most of the movie and their relationship is interesting. We don't really get to spend all that much time with them. Uh, we spend more time with kids that they then come back around and are like, and this kid grew up to go to war. I don't give a fuck. Cut that entire middle montage of where all of these ancillary characters that we've only seen for two minutes. It's his brother. His brother went to war. His brother is the one we, the only one we actually need. Yes. The rest of them I don't care about. I don't care what happened to the cop and the taxi driver. <laughs> I don't care. I'm like, 
like I have seen these people on screen for two minutes. I have no investment. If it was a modern day thing and they wanted to do this complexity and depth of this person's life, it would be like a 10 episode miniseries like The Wire. Like they have characters that come back like two seasons later like The Wire. I'm like, I don't know who went to Normandy. I don't know. I don't know who these people are. This sounds terrible, but like Avengers Endgame does better with characters with less screen time than this movie does. Yes. Because at least I understand who they are. In this one, I'm like, I don't know who the fuck they're talking about. Well, the costumes help. The if costumes everyone had help. a really big flamboyant costume in this film, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And that would be an interesting... Oh, right. The guy who's a tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Normandy, Paige. He, he stormed the beaches of Normandy. And on VD Day, he cried and prayed. Yeah. It's got that 50s like <laughs> preachy stuff. I, it, it does feel like two different voices. Because I feel like, like Mary and his relationship is very nuanced and like different modern almost personable and modern and grounded in reality i would say and then there's other parts of the movies that are just bug fuck nuts just like weird it's like it's like the censors preaching at you like that like the whole the whole world war ii part is like a narrator and it makes no sense and you never see george bailey go to church to cry never and pray i'm like why did they put all this in because it was two years after the war ended i mean honestly yes. that yeah. is yeah. why it, it is so close to the end of the war that people would have expected it in fact when this movie came out it was put up against in the theaters another war movie that did way better than it did like what movie? midway uh, well, we're, we'll talk about it in box office. It's called The Best okay. Years of Our Lives. Oh. Um, but right. yeah, that's what everyone went to see instead of this. And it was a three-hour, like, returning home from war movie. Like, I would imagine it was like that Tom Cruise movie that was terrible called Born on the Fourth of July or whatever. But like the World War II version of that in the 40s. I watched a similarly boring war movie yesterday. And so maybe I was boring war movied out by the time <laughs> I got to this. I feel like I could have this movie without Clarence completely and just have it be him reflecting on the good things in his life and I don't need this weirdness. <laughs> I think you need the Clarence though because that is the Dickens in this movie. Yeah, sure. And I feel like the Dickens is the hook. I know it's not like an actual like one-to-one -one, like he is no, visited I by know. three ghosts yeah. or whatever but like the ability to see what hit like everyone's life would have been like without him in it is a very Dickens-esque magical realism kind of thing and I think it makes the movie work but like the last 20-30 minutes are what you remember yeah. because that's the good part of the movie. When it's not trying to be Dickens, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've only really started liking this film the last couple of years, really. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do think it's like an old person's movie. So, like, as I get closer to old person, I do like it more and more, I think. Yeah. M maybe I am broken. Paige, it's just because you look eternally youthful. So, you're not allowed to like it. You're not old enough, Paige. Yeah, you don't have the wisdom of the world right now. You don't have, like, an afternoon you can just sit for four hours and watch the film. This is the Hallmark movie before Hallmark movies. Uh, but I also don't love Hallmark movies. I know. This is the movie you watch while you sit and wonder why your kids won't call and why that Cat Stevens song keeps playing all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, am I going to die alone and it's not going to mean anything? I'm like, no, I helped a bunch of people like this George guy. Sure. If I could see the world without me in it, it would have Biff Tannen in charge. There you go. I am fully convinced that the reason I dislike this movie so much is because I have no nostalgia for it. Like, this was not a part of our Christmas tradition. And I think most people who watch and enjoy this movie, this represents time spent with their family and people they love. Yes. Uh, you should never make a child watch this movie. Oh, people do. Yeah. Uh, but like, 
I think that's part of why people love it is they're like, it represents the time, not necessarily the movie itself. So for me, I get that feeling from White Christmas where I'm like, it's not Christmas till I've watched White Christmas. I watched it the other day. It makes me happy. I usually bake cookies to it. Oh. This, I have none of that with it. And so it's like, I think this will never that. be a loved movie for me. Oh, yeah. And I think that's probably fair. I was really interested today to rewatch it under like my work lens and be like, what, yeah. is, what does it say about suicide? And, and I was surprised that I didn't. There's definitely a lot worse movies out there that touch oh, on the yeah. topic. Smile is worse. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Smile is way worse. Yeah. Also, I love that Clarence was like, guy suicidal. I'm taking a Mel Gibson approach. And he's like, you want to jump? I'm going to jump. And he just jumps right in that river. Which to me says that George hadn't thought this plan out because that jump was very survivable. I think the plan was yeah, I think he drowning, was gonna drown. Not, yeah, I think he not was the drown. jump itself. Yeah. It's really hard to drown yourself though. It That's is. like one of the hardest ways to go. Automatic like reflexes will take over in some yes. situations. And he yeah. does jump in the river to save George. I mean, like You mean he jumps in to save Clarence? I mean Clarence. Yeah. Clarence. That's yeah. why Clarence jumps in because he knows that if he uses George Bailey's trauma of watching his brother almost die in front of him falling into water, that you know, he will kick into that savior mode and he'll be required to jump in and try and save him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, I show that clip of Mel Gibson, I'm like, don't do this. Like when I train people, I'm like, this is not what you want to do. I mean, most of the things Mel Gibson does are things that you shouldn't do. I mean, except for leave voicemails. No, yeah. you sh- I like George <laughs> Bailey, man. He's like, for the people, he's like the 99% punches a ton of cops in this film. He punches one. It's the same cop twice. Well, you, you I mean, it's a one cop town. Yeah, it is a one cop town. It's just that one guy. What does George Bailey tell a cop he's already told once? Tells him again. (laughs) Not that he's already got two black eyes. I don't know the joke. I was going to say, I was like, I think you fucked that joke up. What do you tell a cop with two black eyes? Nothing. George Bailey already told him twice. (laughs) That's what it is. I, I. I had some conflicting feelings this watch because I was like, man, Pottersville looks cool as fuck. Pottersville is almost entirely bars and strip clubs and dance clubs. And casinos. Pottersville or whatever is 1000% just second Broadway here in Nashville. (laughs) Like that is downtown Nashville right now. I do love that like my conservative family loves this movie about a socialist standing up to a capitalist. And it is like (laughs) my favorite part of the Christmas season. And it's so funny to me. And his dad was like that. Yeah. He's like that. I think they interpret it as good people help people. And I'm like, yes, you're almost there. Yeah. They interpret it like (laughs) the Bible says. Yeah. yeah, Some people used to be like that. They would be like rich people used to build libraries, not monuments to their narcissism you know what I'm well they could have been monuments to their narcissism back then yeah i was, was going to say to be fair they, they were could building be both those of libraries those to to distract from the fact that they were trying to unseat franklin delano roosevelt who died right before this movie was made that's why they named characters after him because this movie absolutely has an anti-capitalist sentiment yeah, and I it was like. almost criminal at the time and we will talk about it in fun facts can't wait <laughs> all right maybe we should just go through it scene by scene because there are a lot of scenes and there's a lot to get through we could skim right i'm like, a yada like, yada yada through yeah, a lot of we're shit we're definitely yes. gonna one percent this movie like one percent milk it you know what i'm saying it's not the <laughs> yeah. full two percent it's like the skimmer version but not fully skim right well you you got you got the pharmacist poisoning the kid you got your brother drowning you got uh talking to mary you got 
got high school George. You got Violet. You got the school dance. We'll get through it. There's we'll get a through whole it. bunch of shit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, this movie. We do get old timey credits and I do love the old timey credits. I know that there's nothing playing mm-hmm. over them, but the stylized mid-century Christmas you cannot beat it. It's so pretty. I love it. And they're not that long because it's an old movie. Yeah. Anyway, we're now in Bedford Falls uh, and we see Gower Drug, Martinis. And then we go up into the sky and we just have stars lighting up and talking to each other as if they're I angels. I think you're talking about special effects. For the time, yes. But also <laughs> this goes on for like 10 minutes. This yeah. scene is bonkers long and it is weird as shit. Oh, you mean two constellations talking to another constellation about how dumb this wannabe angel is oh okay let's get the mormonism out of this film okay i do think it was very (laughs) brave of frank capra who made this movie to like definitively show that the mormonism like everyone gets their own planet style of heaven is what is, is true. Yeah. That's a very big swing. <laughs> Especially in the 40s when Mormonism had only been around for just over 100 years and like black people couldn't hold the priesthood or positions of authority for like another 40 years after this. Actually, 25, 30 years after this. I also love that um, they have disdain for their work of angels, like <laughs> a nine to five job. They're like, a lot of prayers coming in for George Bailey. We got to get somebody on it. Like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> it is like a very like middle manager like way to approach <laughs> someone praying for help. Pe- people were talking. We probably address it. Or we're just gonna like we're gonna lose some clients. Uh, where's that? Where's that guy? He's like super dumb, but like real faithful. He's like a company man, Clarence. We better send two guys in short sleeve button down shirts on bicycles to make sure everything's okay. Because you know, every time a doorbell rings. An angel gets its wings. Hello, my name is Elder Todd, and I would like to share with you this free amazing book. (laughs) That's from Book of Mormon, the musical. It is a wild book. Yo, you have not lived until you've lived the drama of Layman and Lemuel and the Nephites dog. Come at me, bro. Or if you just take the time to watch Under the Banner of Heaven, and that's almost as good. It's so good. Uh, Anyway, they do say that Clarence has the IQ of a rabbit and the simple faith of a child. And I'm like, does he need a helmet? (laughs) <laughs> and he died of old age in the olden times. So I was like, can't be that dumb. He's got street smarts. That's what it is. Well, okay, but I also <laughs> want you to think about, first of all, I do know when Clarence was born. I have it in fun facts. Uh, but I want you to think about someone who is so old, they have died of old age, and then they're responsible for talking you out of killing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, young whippersnapper, your life isn't as bad. Wait, wait, who are you? She stole my, where are my glasses? Like, yeah. Clarence, I like that. Clarence is like, I'm going in the water for you. Like, what, old man? He's like, bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) What would have been really funny is if he had done, like, Jason Statham high dive jump flips. That would have been awesome. (laughs) You will do anything to see Statham at a Speedo again, Paige. Oh, Mm -hmm. all I have to do is pull up YouTube. I know, Statham Olympic tryout video, (laughs) slow-mo. Yeah. (laughs) Bookmarked. She's got a bookmark. Robbed. (laughs) Should have gotten that gold. (laughs) Actually not. I think he was probably only okay, but it's fun to watch. Anyway. Okay, so these stars are basically the narrative frame of like talk like going through George's life like Clarence here's like the brief on George yeah here's the 411 on George yeah so like that bigger constellation is basically omnipotent and they got to explain this shit like a child to Clarence yeah and they basically tell him they're like at 10:45 p.m. 
he's going to contemplate taking his life. And so Clarence is like, I've only got an hour to dress. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are we talking about? Paige, they just said he had the mind of a child. What <laughs> do you clearly understand? Does. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want to defend this, but I've definitely had to be like, I need to get dressed before I go out there. And I, I you have to like think about what you, I mean, like it's a process. You can't just go talk to somebody suicidal with like your pajamas. You'll look weird. He's an angel. He can disappear at any time. He's got to put his human skin on. He's a star right now it takes a minute oh god i can't i honestly <laughs> wish we got to see that process i just would have loved to have seen like 1947's version of someone who's like a star putting skin on i'm just picturing him getting dressed with a shine bright shine far be a star you're a star where you live i am picturing charlie day from the Dayman episode when he comes down. <laughs> the top hat. And he's just wearing a bright yellow suit with a top hat. Yes. I was that little star, that little Clary boy was, was me. <laughs> anyway, he also has been trying to win his wings for 200 years. Yes. And he's like, people are talking. And I was like, yeah, because you're clearly dumb. Like, what's <laughs> going on? You know what they say in heaven? If you look around, you know, four out of five angels have wings. So if you don't have wings. You're probably the dumb angel, Clarence. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, they do say that all the time. It's an idiom up here in heaven. There's like signs with that on it. I would love an expanded universe of this. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. The It's a Wonderful Life expanded cinematic universe. <laughs> that includes the bishop's wife, arsenic and old lace. Psycho for some reason. Sorry. <laughs> the only thing is like Samuel Jackson plays the large constellation. He's like, we got a fucking problem down there. I need you to join the angel initiative. <laughs> After someone dies, he just like approaches them. Bunch of angels on a helicarrier. Uh -huh. <laughs> His constellation is an eclipse because it's got an eye patch over the sunny part. <laughs> hey, 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 Nick Fury, how do we know which star is yours? Mine's the one that says sunny motherfucker on it. <laughs> Let me tell you, we've got we've got T minus two hours to save George Bailey. Here's the briefing. <laughs> and then at the end, he just like shows, <laughs> he drives up in a car, pops the trunk and it glows. And that's how, you know, Clarence got his wings. Hell like it was yeah. just the loot in, in the, the back. The suitcase. That's what was stolen in Pulp Fiction, which is in the It's a Wonderful Life expanded universe. Holy shit. I refuse. I Stop it. love this. <laughs> Don't infect my good movie with this movie. Get Quentin Tarantino's on the phone to confirm this. No. I bet uh, he would be like, yeah, I bet sure. he would. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? That dude will do anything for a headline. There's like a 10% chance, Todd. He'd be like, you finally figured it out. <laughs> he shows up at our house <laughs> unannounced. I need you to not joke about that. He does not live far away from me. <laughs> Paige, keep your socks and shoes on at all times. <laughs> You need to put out a plate of foot-shaped cookies and some lubriderm <laughs> so he can give you a foot massage when he comes down your trim chimney on Feet Miss Eve. Feet Miss Eve. <laughs> I hate that whole sentence. Keep that foot fetishy stuff out of my Wonderful Life episode. Good tidings we feet to you and your feet. Good tidings for Feet Miss and a happy shoe year. <laughs> I, I really do love that this movie like is... Nick Fury, more or less, from the It's a Wonderful Life Cinematic Universe, sending Clarence down to help George Bailey defeat capitalism. Defeat capitalism. It was right there the whole time. 
greed is a sin. Greed and avarice, yes. Have you not seen Wall Street? Bro, greed is good. Bad. It's like literally oh, that's right. really Reagan bad. Reagan was the fucking worst. That's right. My bad. He was just the poster boy. Yeah. There was lots of people who influenced that all happening. Oh, I know. But the whole greed is good thing that came out of, like the movie Wall Street is what I was referencing there. Like that came out of that time period. Well, look at today. Elon Musk, a good example. Good does not equal wealth. And the more money you have does not make you a better person. Is anybody debating that? Like Some yes. people are. Oh my God. Some people think being rich means that you're inherently good. Yeah. The whole really? point of life is to make money. The richer you are, the better person you are, the better you are. I mean, from a very like zoomed out view, I sort of agree with that on some level. Like, I think it is your job to like provide for yourself and the ones you love and all that kind of stuff. So like, I get that you should work and find purpose. Like, yes. but the people who take it to the, well, he is obviously a man of God because he's rich. Like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone say. It's cuckoo bananas for sure. It's yeah. cuckoo bananas. I mean, but if you look at a man like Elon Musk and do no research, he seems somewhat accomplished. But then when you do your research, you realize that he is just like the son of a guy who benefited Married off apartheid. Married his stepdaughter well, and had a couple kids later, with her. that came later, but like they owned diamond and emerald mines in South Africa. Yeah. Like so much so that Elon Musk would have diamond fights where he would throw diamonds at his siblings. Like that's the level of wealth right. they came from. And he's never held a real job in his life. Like the dude doesn't right. know what he's doing. But if you think he's a genius because he's rich, you're stupid. And he will definitely have a big lurch looking motherfucker to wheel his wheelchair around. When he's older. Yes, he will. He is Mr. Potter. I like this movie because it really shows that some people who have their whole life purpose is like rich, control, money, power, do not understand people who live for different values. Yes. And a fundamental, like, you're an idiot. You're weak. You're, you're like, like, th like the whole thing of his life is Potter being like, your family's stupid. Well, also, and that brings me to something that I did notice about this film that I had never noticed before. None of the old people age. Like, some of those people should have been dead ass dead by the time we get to the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't know if I should be the one to break this to you, but you don't really age either. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know where you get off getting upset that people who should age don't in this movie. <laughs> I'm sure 20 years from now, I'll look five years older, okay? Like, we're not even seeing that. Are you just, like, drinking the retinol? Like, how does it work? People need to know your secret, Paige. I do moisturize, and I eat a lot of dairy. All right. Also, Clarence does a pretty decent job pretty quickly. Like, he wraps that shit up in about 15 minutes at the end of the movie. He's like... He stumble-bumbles his way through it. Oh, come on! He's like, yeah, I'll just paint the world like you never existed. Boom! And he wanders around and he's like, told you. He slip and falls down that stairway to heaven. Like he, he, barely, <laughs> he, he lucks out. And by the way, in watching it, I was like, when he's having that initial conversation with George, he's like, why would you want to kill yourself? He's like, you're right. I need to figure this out. I love my family. And then he still continues to be like, no, we need to see what it was like if you were never born. They sit an angel down. He's not just going to go have one conversation. He's like, you got to drive the point home. That's how you get your wings. You got to get results. You got to pump those numbers up. Ridiculous. <laughs>
I honestly want to see all the times they've sent Clarence in the past 200 years that he didn't get his wings. Like, that's the trilogy I want. Like, the Clarence fuck-up episodes. You know what I'm saying? I think this was his first major task. I think they've been giving him maybe minor tasks. They said that he's up again, yeah. which means that, like, they have given him bigger jobs in the past. I think one of them is the Salem Witch Trials. Well, you know what? I still like him better than Denzel because he didn't try to fuck Mary. How dare you besmirch our national treasure, Denzel Washington? I will not stand for any anti-Denzel rhetoric on this show. Oh, you mean Studley Dudley? Studley Dudley. Dudley was a way worse angel than Clarence. Dudley was trying to dick down Whitney Houston yes! the whole movie. Yes! I mean, and you know in- what? He would have been effective at it. Yes, he would have been. <laughs> That's not why he was sent. The constellation was very upset with him when he got back. Yeah, he didn't get his wings that time. Well, it's because that constellation's a Scorpio, and we keep grudges. <laughs> oh. It's like we uh, sent you there to save the church, not make his wife come. You cannot <laughs> tell me you think Denzel was a better angel in that movie than Clarence is. In- Absolutely, I can. Yes. No. He caused the traffic jam. To try to hook up with his wife. Clarence doesn't do anything. Clarence literally just follows him around. In fact, half the time, Clarence isn't even there because Clarence has been held back by a cop or tripped and fell somewhere. And it's just George running and realizing what has happened to all this stuff. He made his move. He made the world look like he wasn't born. He's got to let George stumble through it. That brings me to a very important question I've been wanting to ask you, Mikey. How long into these like negotiations do you offer to show them what everyone's life would be like without them? Immediately. Okay. So I go out there and I'm like, okay, you've never existed. Let's go walk around town. Okay. It takes a few hours because I've got to learn about their whole past. <laughs> right. And we've got a Shutter Island the whole thing. I know. It's a Shutter Island. It is a Shutter Island. It is. It would be a Shutter Island. Yeah. I'm like, we should pay all your loved ones to pretend you never exist and they live terrible lives. And then that would be a Shutter Island. And that, no one's ever done that before because of all many, of the obvious many logistical, legal ethical, reasons. and lo- logistical <laughs> problems with this. It also would be very expensive. Honestly, I just don't think we're investing enough in our health care. Do you know how much we'd have to raise taxes to pay for a Shutter Island for every person? I think everybody should get one Shutter Island. <laughs> Everyone gets one free Shutter yeah. Island. I'm, I'm running for office and I want to be like, Shutter Island for every person. Mikey, you were talking about running for government earlier. Uh-huh. I want to guarantee a Shutter Island for you and you and you. And they're going to be like, what is this guy talking about? Anyway. Why you got to play that piano? It's so stupid. I really relate to him. (laughs) Haven't you learned the damn song already? That's another thing. It's Jimmy Stewart who has a crazy voice and is also playing a high schooler at one point, but is clearly 40 some odd years old. They do a decent job aging him up and down. (laughs) They do nothing. He looks the same the whole movie. They do a fine job for the 40s, but he does look the same the whole movie, except for when he's like the The child version. The child actor, right? Because it's definitely a different actor, who then plays his son later in the movie, which I thought was funny. Yeah, I noticed that. That was pretty funny. (laughs) I was like, I mean, why not? He probably would look a lot like his dad. He's already here. Yeah. One of his kids is a clone like Boba Fett. What's wrong? For the upcoming war... With the angel initiative? Anyway, so the first kind of vignette he sees is kids sledding on shovels, which I have gone sledding and slid on ice, never on a shovel. I feel like it's a recipe for getting racked in the crotch by the handle of that shovel if you hit anything. Well, this is the time of lawn darts and things of that like this is yeah (laughs) why can't all of our kids have children well (laughs) i mean this is at a time where you were thrilled if even most of your kids lived out of childhood (laughs) that's why she has four i know yeah 
Anyway, uh, so they're sledding on shovels. His brother slides and falls into the ice and he saves him. But we find out that as a result, he loses his hearing in one ear. Yeah, but he does save his brother's life. Right. And this is also the first time we see something that I have to talk about with this movie. And that is the you put your fingers like your thumbs on your temples and wave your hands hee-haw. and go hee-haw, hee-haw. Yeah, there's a lot of donkey in this. There I is don't a understand. lot of donkey in this. I think it's like a reference to the show hee-haw. No, hee-haw is much later than this. There's a kid's show where they did that back in the day, I think. I honestly don't know where it comes from. I just want to say we see Sam Wainwright as a kid do it here. And then the Mm -hmm. very last time you see Sam Wainwright on the screen, when he's probably in his 40s, he does it. If your friends do a bit that long, tell them to stop. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but during these scenes, we're also meeting like Henry F. Potter, who's the richest man in town, and his dad, who works at the, uh, not the bank, but building and loan, which is, I want to say a credit union is like the closest I could come to it. It's like a credit union that is also a contractor where it's like they specifically provide loans for homes and development, but not they're not a traditional bank. But it is like a credit union vibe because it is like the people in the community invest in everyone else in the community kind of a thing. Right. We cut to George goes to his job at the drugstore and we see that his boss is like drinking and crying, which is never a good thing unless it's retail during the holidays. Then you just close the door and go back to your shift. Retail pharmacists, they do a lot of drinking and crying. Oh, for sure. I mean, retail anything, you do a lot of drinking mm-hmm. and crying. Think about it. You like, you're a pharmacist. You went to like school at school. Yeah. Now you work nine to five at Walgreens getting yelled at by people all day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. At the time, I don't believe the schooling was as stringent at the time. Oh, I'm sure it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. The, I mean, it wasn't as stringent to be a doctor either. Like, yeah. a lot of things progress and get more difficult to attain because maybe they should have been the whole time, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. I mean, they definitely should have been because this motherfucker almost kills somebody with the pills that he makes. We also find out why he's so sad, which is that his son died of COVID-18. Um, I thought his son died in World War I because this is occurring in 1919. It said influenza, which is the last time we had a COVID-19 oh, style outbreak. Oh, that would outbreak. have been 1920. Yeah. yeah, 1920. He's a compounding pharmacist specifically. Yeah. So he's... Like your pharmacist today, there are still compounding pharmacies today, obviously, but most of like your pharmacists at Walgreens or whatever are like allocating pills in certain amounts and then giving you directions on how to use them. Yeah. Compounding pharmacists are actually mixing what goes in them. Yeah. They're like building the pills or whatever you call that. It's good and bad. There's there's not a lot of oversight, but at the time it was kind of the only option. So, uh, but the front of the house is like a soda fountain. So this is where we meet Violet and Mary for the first time. And Violet is like, I want these kind of candies. Will you help me down? Like she's hitting on George from the jump. And then Mary's a little more subtle about it. And this conversation is bonkers where she's like, I want chocolate, but I don't want any coconut. And he's like, why the hell wouldn't you want coconut? Don't you know that it comes all the way from Tahiti? And I was like, why would that motivate somebody to want coconut? But he says it like an eight-year-old version of, why don't you want coconut, you dumb bitch? Like yes. he, doesn't, he doesn't say those words, but that is like very much his uh, vibe. Because coconut and chocolate is a good combination. I don't like coconut either. It's a texture thing. It comes from Tahiti, you dumb bitch. <laughs> I do love that he's like, whatever, this bitch is getting coconut. And he like gives her like three <laughs> scoops of coconut. 
Well, maybe if you wanted better employees, don't hire eight-year-olds. Yeah, don't hire. <laughs> Here's what I will say. First, first of all, Todd, you should try toasting the coconut. It changes the texture. Oh, I would I'm try that. I'm a texture person too. Yeah, okay. Uh, toasted coconut comes out a little more almost like toasted breadcrumbs. I do like toasted breadcrumbs. I, I mean, and I would absolutely try that because I don't hate the flavor. It's more the texture than anything. Right. Yeah. Anyway, this is our first indication that he and Mary will have a thing because she leans down into his ear that he can't hear out of and she's like, I will love you forever. And he stands up and he's like, see, in this magazine, like he just completely did not hear her. I love it when he sits back up with the ice cream in his hand, having not heard her confess his love. And he's just like gabbing away about National Geographic and how <laughs> he's been inducted coconut. into the Explorer group. <laughs> Or whatever they call them Yeah It's clear that this kid Wants to travel Because his town Is very small And there's not much to do Right Yeah He does see the telegram That Mr. Gower's son died And he goes back there To be like Hey is there anything I can do for you I know you're having A hard day And he tells him To take these pills To one of the other Families in town That has diphtheria Yeah And unfortunately George realizes that Because Mr. Gower is drunk He has given them The wrong pills Which means that he might accidentally poison them i mean it is poison yeah it is poison so he goes he sees a sign that says when in doubt ask dad so he goes to ask his dad and this is the first time he runs into uh potter and the bank examiner and we kind of find out that his dad is a very principled man and that does not necessarily translate to wise decisions in business but it does translate to him doing as much good as he can when he can yeah because he's doing whatever he can for his fellow man not his own bank account Correct. So uh, George ends up going back to the pharmacy where they're like, hey, where is that medicine? And he's like, he should have delivered it an hour ago. And then we watch him literally violently slap this child. Until blood comes out of his quote unquote sore ear. Yeah. It made me so sad. And then, and while he's doing <laughs> this, like George Bailey as a kid is like, I know why you're sad and hitting me. And he's like being so empathetic. <laughs> To this old man who is physically accosting him. Yes. I mean, honestly, it turns into this, like, I hesitate to say sweet moment because I do feel like this moment sort of bonds them. Yeah, because he covers for him. Yeah. I don't feel like the pharmacist is a bad guy necessarily. I get that the beating a kid thing was of the time, I guess. It's still but not like, great. It's terrible. Especially open, yeah. an open hand slap across the face. Like, you're an adult to a child. Yeah. Like, you hit hard enough, you'll knock some eyeballs out of a guy's head. Like, it's yeah. not good. But, like, at the end of this, like, literally two seconds after he's hitting him, they're hugging, and he's, like, apologizing, yeah. and he's crying. It is just, like, the guy's going through a lot. His son just died. Like, I yeah. get it. I mean, yeah. yeah. It does not excuse beating a, your child. Exactly. Employee, your child slave laborer guy you yeah, have employee, there. by the way. Like, not even your own child. A child that you have hired. Like, call OSHA. Well, no, Paige, his own child is dead. I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you had to throw that in his face. <laughs> it also wouldn't be okay if it was if it was your own child, but add to this fact that this is workplace harassment. Yeah. Yeah. But you get a, he gets a nice suitcase out of it. He does get a nice suitcase out of it, which is exactly the very next scene where we cut to what is supposed to be like a 20-year-old Jimmy Stewart who is very clearly like a 40-year-old man. <laughs> he's like Bedford Falls. <laughs> he's lived a long life. He's had to have the business on his shoulders. Yeah, people died young then. Like he was middle-aged when he was 25. Well, because he this movie ends with him at 28, by the way. Wow. Okay. <laughs> When I realized that, I was like, what? That is nuts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so the pharmacist has purchased a giant overnight bag for him 
so that he can go take a trip and see the world. It's almost like a traveling trunk. It's like a big, yeah. big suitcase. Right, like if you needed to float away from a volcano on it, it would be perfect. <laughs> it's a little bit smaller than that, but it's like embroidered with his name and he paid for it. It's, it's a very nice, thoughtful gift because he's going to cross to Europe working on like a cattle boat or something like that to travel before college. Well, because George Bailey tries to travel like six different times in this movie and at every point life is slapping him down. I'm yes. just saying, it's pretty depressing. So we cut to, he goes to visit at the pharmacy and thanks him. And he does that thing where it's like a, I think it's a cigarette lighter. He's like, I, I wish her a million dollars. Hot dog. Hot dog. Yeah. Hot dog. But now that kind of soda fountain and pharmacy is, incredibly popular there's a ton of kids there so clearly he's become more successful over time yeah but he leaves and he's about to take a taxi home when he runs into violet who is like hello mutual i'm sure just you know <laughs> violating her way across the street but violet's the girl who from the first time we see her as a, as a small girl like she's talking about how she likes George and then Mary who's sitting next to her is like, you like all the boys. And she goes, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, duh. Like, that is very much her vibe as an adult as well. <laughs> I'm a sex positive straight lady. What's wrong with yeah, that? <laughs> in like the 20s or whatever. She was just a lady about town and here for it. Yeah, what's really great is later on when she ends up starring in Chicago. <laughs> She's basically that character. Uh, so my favorite part about her is when he's like, let's go do this date that like sounds also terrible to me. And yeah, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> and she's like, no, I am nope. no longer interested in you for the rest of the movie. Let's put our feet in the grass. And feel I the was earth. down for the feet and the grass part and then it the hiking. It was a 10 mile like, hike up on mountain. Yeah. I think he added that because she had not bugged out yet. Maybe. <laughs> I do like that before she walks over to talk to him, she's with two different guys and she's like, hold on, I might be back. <laughs> just yeah. like, and he says, I'll wait for you, baby. <laughs> I was like, oh, Violet is a vibe. She is a whole vibe. Violet is running that town while like Mary is falling in love with one man. She is like convincing the town to fall in love with her yeah, yeah yeah i don't know whose baby it is i guess you'll all have to give me thousands of dollars like that <laughs> that's violet's next move it's great anyway uh so we cut to george bailey's house where his mom and dad are getting ready for dinner and george and his brother harry yeah harry bailey yes are running around upstairs and it's like shaking the roof and everything and this is the part of the movie that does not hold up is is having a live-in servant of color in the home. Yeah. I was like, oh, people were still okay with that? Not cool. Uh, they were okay with it until like the 60s. Yeah. But uh, she walks out and her first line of the movie is, this is why all children should be girls. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what a crazy worldview. Like that is bonkers. But like, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> like, T I want to hear about I, your plan lady. for this. <laughs> tell me information. Yes. Anyway, so I do, the more I thought about it, I was like, only children though? What is it? <laughs> anyway, so the boys come downstairs and by boys, I mean full grown adults. Right. And they sit down to have dinner Harry's taking a bunch of plates to a party that we'll find out about later. George is sitting with his dad and he and his dad have this, this conversation of like, I want to go. I want to see the world. It's not that I don't love you or what you do. I just have different aspirations for my life. I do think you're a good man and I appreciate what you've done. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet moment, actually. And I do love that the like live in housekeeper lady is like eavesdropping from the kitchen and like eavesdropping like right in front of them. And he's like. 
if you want to sit down, you might, you know, you could just sit down or whatever. Well, and I love that she's like, I would if you were saying anything good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then scampers back to the kitchen. But you see her like listening in, right? Yeah. And then once they say like, you know, I love you, I love you too or whatever. She's like, it's about time y'all said it. <laughs> she's great. Here's the thing, though, that conversation in a Today movie would be two minutes long, but just as impactful. Yeah. You know, that like this is one of the ones that I'm like, I understand the sentiment. I want to keep the scene, but I would trim the hell out of it. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so he decides he's going to go to the party. Well, it's the, the high school dance thing. Yeah. The high school dance. Yeah. All of the high schoolers are 40. <laughs> like every single one of them. I do think that's funny because they literally have to be the townspeople later in the movie. So they're just they like, do. All right. yeah, they're just it's the same people. And I also think it's weird that like a lot of non high school men show up yes. to this high school dance. Yeah. That tell you how much times have probably changed, huh? The fact that there's just like 23 year olds rolling up being like, so who's the young ladies that are free to dance right? <laughs> in this movie? Is yeah. You wild. definitely shouldn't run for senator for Alabama. <laughs> or you should because that's what all the senators are doing. Well, no, that's that happened. <laughs> Roy Moore. Wait. Like, Roy Moore was at this high school party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That literally that's happened. Right. He lost because of it, actually. Good. He's like, everybody's doing it back then, right? See? No, they weren't. People did a lot of things back in the day that weren't great. Like, that's not a good reason for anything. Saying like, oh, well, people did it back in the day. No, people did slavery back in the day. People burned women at the stake for no good reason back in the day. Just because they did something back in the day is no reason to continue doing it ever. Agree. Yeah. Which is why I don't care when people are like, in the Constitution, I'm like, it was a living document to be updated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Controversial, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so this is where uh, he meets Mary through her brother but clearly they are not too far apart in age because they knew each other as kids and he was not that much older than her, it seemed. And she's at college in the, around the same time he would have been at college. Yeah. So like, And he was only a year or two off. So I think they're maybe three to four years apart max or whatever. But he meets Mary. She's beautiful because yeah. every time she's on screen in this movie the lighting is chef's choice yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's donna reed too like she was like a bombshell back in the day right oh she was gorgeous mm -hmm. but my favorite part about it is that like and this is why i'm like watch this movie for the lighting because the lighting's amazing you'll see the lighting for the scene and then it cuts to her and it's completely different lighting yeah but it's just to make her look beautiful and she does <laughs> worth it her skin Immaculate. Is she drinking retinol? Like, what's her secret? <laughs> She's just eating mozzarella sticks like me. Probably not. She probably had an eating disorder because things were bad at the time in Hollywood. Yeah. Most likely. Men many of those women <laughs> were bullied into eating disorders. And yeah. it was very sad. Anyway, and he's like immediately taken with her. She's talking to another guy who, by the way, he looks so familiar, he does right? Look familiar. I know where I know why he looks familiar. And I looked all over the Internet to try and verify this. And I could not verify it. I'm about 99 percent sure that that actor is the actor that they use in the picture in White Christmas as Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy. Oh my God. Could that be true? <laughs> I think it's the same guy because I was like, where have I seen this guy before? And I was like, Freckleface Haynes, the dog face boy, because I watched White Christmas like two days ago. I'm looking at that picture. It looks Paige just like the dude. Yeah. My favorite character is the other dude you never see again. He's like, hey, man, I see you're mad. I've got the key to this dance floor. Yeah. Some people 
would fuck shit up. I'm going to leave this key here. I got to go. Oh, wait. Wait, it's Alfalfa. It is Alfalfa. Oh, wow. No wonder he looks familiar. He is Freddy Ortho I found in it. It's yes. a Wonderful Life. He is. Freddy Othello. Othello it is Othello. the same yeah, guy. Yeah. He is the same guy. Oh, I feel vindicated. That's, That's amazing. Great. Eagle Eye Wesley over here. Uh, so anyway, Freckleface Hane's the dog face boy. Gets the key from the guy and he's going to open the pool just like in whatever it takes, which by the way, if you remember from when we did that movie, it is the same pool. And it's a reference to this, right? Like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. It has to be. But it's, yeah. it's, yeah, where he's just, I'll stop the world and melt, melt with, with you. you. And like yeah. people are falling in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, not only a reference, the same exact pool. Nice. So uh, they're dancing, but eventually they fall into the pool and everyone jumps in the pool because nobody has smartphones in their pockets. So <laughs> I love the guy who's like running the event or whatever. And he's like on the side, like, no, don't jump in. And then he's just like, whatever, fuck it. I'll jump in. And then he jumps yep. in. It is like mm -hmm. adorably funny to me. And I love when old dudes like play like that. It's so fun to see. Very, very fun. We cut to them walking home after. And it is implied that they took clothes from the lost and found to come home yes. in. Well, because he's wearing like football, <laughs> a, a football uniform that have like pads built in, but don't fit because he's like holding it with his hand and he has like a football jersey on and she's wearing just like a bathrobe more or less. And that's it. Right. And he keeps stepping on the um, the tie. Because she should tie it. What happens is on her completely. She was dressed like she deserved it. No, she should have she should have tied the thing. Like everyone knows you tied the bathrobe. Sure. Unless you're sure. looking for hanky panky business. Todd, this is an aggressively bad take. <laughs> but here's my other one. They're singing Buffalo Gals when you come out tonight, and it's terrible. Even the captions say singing out of tune, and I was like, damn. Yeah. Even people who can't hear know. The library is open, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. Oh, that's how I sing. We know, but like we sometimes know. it's how I sing. Like no one's perfect all the time. So he says, if it wasn't me talking, you, I'd say you're the prettiest girl in town, which is a weird way to be like, I wouldn't say that, but I guess other people would. The first step is to neg. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then my favorite is she's like, well, what would you say? And he's like, wait a second. How old are you? Like, good question. George Bailey's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah. But then she's like, I'm 18. She's like, why is that too young or too old? And I was like, the fact that 18 could be too old. is a different time. <laughs> she was an old maid librarian at the fresh old age of 25. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was, yeah. When she should be going downtown to Second Broadway to find herself a husband. Or just a friend for the night. It is her choice time. Yeah, whatever she wants. I don't give a shit. I'm not going down to Second Broadway. Are you kidding? Just like she reads about in her library books. Oh, man. Anyway. Yeah. They have this kind of like fun, flirtatious. They clearly have chemistry. They like each other. It's very, very cute. The whole, you want the moon? I'll lasso the moon and pull it down for you. Like the whole thing is super sweet. I love romantic it. Romantic moment. It is very romantic. That reminds me of, there are a lot of scenes in this section that remind me of The Notebook. You know, the famous murder-suicide oh, yeah, 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 film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she's like, mm -hmm. call me a bird. You're a bird. Like that kind of thing. And then the whole like, I love that old house. Let's have sex in it. And then let's make it our house which is also something that happens in the notebook. Well, you know that like they probably did have sex in that house tonight, but that was absolutely. Not <laughs> they absolutely <laughs> don't have sex that night, guys. He gets rushed away because his dad dies. You monster. Yeah, but then Afterward. he comes back yeah, and has yeah, like yeah. super sad. Oh, I'm saying you're okay if like her brother is murdered by a car or whatever and then she hooks up with the car. I mean, the guy that murdered him. <laughs> 
That's wait, okay wait, in a when film. When did this happen? Hold on. This is West Side Story. <laughs> no, no one gets killed with a car in West Side Story. They get no, shot gets because it's a race war. <laughs> he gets stabbed by her boyfriend who comes I to know. her house and they hook up. They do. Yeah. Because it's Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So he came back after his dad died and she's like, he died of a stroke. I need a stroke. <laughs> you know what, Todd? I'm siding with Mikey on this one. <laughs> they don't show Clarence that because he has a mind of a child. <laughs> <laughs> they had to edit some of George Bailey's life just because, you know, Clarence has the mind of a child. Every time we say mind of a child, I think that Gremlins 2 Key and Peel sketch where it's like, a vegetable gremlin? You mean just a gremlin made out of vegetables? You are a child. You have the mind of a child. You just said a noun and gremlin. <laughs> Let's just watch Gremlins 2 again, guys. Think about there's not a lot of entertainment options. Uh, sure. TV cuts off at like 6 o'clock or whatever. Yeah, uh-huh. You're going to end up boning. Oh, I was going to say charades, but sure, okay. <laughs> charades can only get so far before they turn sexual. <laughs> two words, <laughs> two <laughs> syllables. Let's Your fuck. dick, my <laughs> mouth. <Yeah. laughs> Kids, go to bed! <laughs> anyway, she says she wants to live in that old house. He says if you break windows in the old house by throwing a rock, you get to make a wish. So he throws one, she throws one, she won't tell him her wish. And then he steps on the tie as she, they kind of go to like run away. Yeah. And she runs right out of her robe. We don't see that. We just cut to him where it, like the robe is on the ground and his foot is on the thing. And he's like, yeah. huh. Well, I guess actually also before that happens, they throw the rocks. He does the I'll give you the moon thing. Yeah. And he's like, and then I give it to you and make you swallow it. And then your fingertips would be moonbeams. And I was like, who the fuck wrote that? I mean, it's accurate. It's accurate to the weird shit you tell your partner, but you don't want anyone to see or hear. It's accurate <laughs> to shit you say at Burning Man to someone who you think is going to be your partner that you met right, that night. Right. Now you say weird stuff. Like you take a romantic moment and then they're like, but then you eat the moon. And then all the moonbeams come out of you and you're like, all right, that's enough. We get like You're already inside me. Do we have to do this? <laughs> anyway, but this is where one of the neighbors leans out and is like, kiss her already. Fuck. Like, what are you doing? Because there's no TV after seven. He's just sitting outside staring at the earth like, please entertain me. He's sitting outside <laughs> reading the newspaper. Whatever, Todd. I know. I think it's crazy that at night he's outside reading the paper. Mm -hmm. But I love that he says... Youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> he just goes inside all mad. I was like, I love I like, that well, line. Well, if you're not going to fuck on the sidewalk, then I'll just go inside and masturbate alone. Yeah. I thought you guys were going to go over and fuck in that old house, and I can see right through it through all the broken windows, but if you're not gonna, then fine. Yeah, he's the guy who started that you got to break the windows out like myth <laughs> because he wanted like to watch people having sex from his house in that house. Well, that's like later on when they're in the house and he's like, what more could I wish for? And I was like, probably more windows. Like, probably not to have broken so many windows. Yeah. Anyway, so she ends up, he steps on her robe. She ends up naked in the bush and he kind of like, oh, maybe I won't give you your robe. <laughs> I love his performance of this because it's so silly. He like even says, it's a very interesting situation I'm in. <laughs> like, <laughs> a man doesn't end up in this situation every day. I love that he is like, I think he's really struggling with what to do like does he give it back or does he make her come out and then put it on her right right right, I, right. I thought it was very funny although we don't get to see any of that because she's like give me my give me my robe back give me my robe back and he's like messing with her and that's when the car rushes up and pulls him away because his dad had a stroke 
Right. So he tosses the robe at her. He gets in the car. Yeah. We cut to three months later where he's at a board meeting for his dad's business where uh, Potter is one of the board members in the business at that point. Yes. That predates George Bailey taking it over. Anyway, so Peter is essentially Potter is like, we should just close the business because your dad was a terrible businessman and he kept being fucking charitable and ew. And here are some copies for Ayn Rand for everybody. Uh, and so then... <laughs> I don't think Ayn Rand was out yet. I I, I might be wrong uh, about that, though. I'm gonna <laughs> find out. When was Fountainhead published? Atlas Shrugged is 57. Fountainhead is 43. Yeah, okay, so Ayn Rand would have been a thing at this time. And this is like when she was like pretending to live her philosophy right not mm -hmm, like what she mm -hmm. actually did later in life when she was like living off the government and stuff but like like when she was actually trying to live that libertarian lifestyle yep anyway so george bailey is just like you motherfucker <laughs> just like how my father was a good man to just you know i mean he does deliver like a monologue in potter's yes. face it's so long that like People would be yawning if that was in real life. Like, it's such a long monologue. <laughs> well, it's like, have you ever seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington? Which, another Jimmy Stewart film where he filibusters yeah. at the end and he's like, and also the people. And you're just like, God damn, do you need an inhaler or something? That's why they got rid of the filibuster. Well, unfortunately, <laughs> they didn't get rid of the filibuster. They got rid of the requirement to actually talk the whole time you're doing a filibuster, which is ruined the yes, filibuster. Yes, it has. Anyway, so he gives this whole monologue of basically like, my father cared about people and invested in his community, which means that even though he died poor, he died richer than you will ever be, which I do think is kind of the point of the movie and is yeah. a great you know, piece to highlight. It is a very good monologue. Great. We find out that the board outvotes Potter, but on the condition that George stays. Yeah. And he's like, damn it. Why do I have to be so good? <laughs> why do I have to be so fucking at good at public speaking. speaking? Yes. But he was like about to go to college, right? This no, he's going to start traveling overseas before college. No, no, no. He's already missed his trip to travel overseas in the three months that they've oh, been settling right. up the paperwork. He was about to go to college. He misses college as well. Yeah. So he takes his father's place. Super big brother energy. Oh, yeah. And his brother has heavy younger sibling energy because essentially he gives his college money to his younger brother. Yes. Who then goes to college. On the assumption that he will then come back and take over the business so George can go and travel mm -hmm. and do the things he wants to do. What does he do? No. Marry some random lady, takes another job, and is just like, sorry, not sorry, George. <laughs> Younger sibling. Bye-bye. <laughs> so we cut to, uh, they have like a huge party for Harry's wedding and kind of his homecoming and his wedding all wrapped in one. Uh, and everyone's kind of getting drunk. George ends up getting kind of drunk that night. And so does his uncle this is where he kind of points his uncle in the right direction down the sidewalk and he walks into trash cans and it's just like i'm fine uh but uh this is where george's mom is like you should go talk to mary and he's like well i think she's kind of with that guy from new york and she's like fuck that guy he's not here bye like <laughs> how far away are they from new york where, where is this set i know it's bedford falls but like I don't think they specifically say. In my mind, I thought it was upstate New York. Me too. So, like, New York isn't that far away. It was yeah. very snowy, but I don't know what the world was like before global, global warming. Well, <laughs> and if we look at, like, the cars that are there and, the, like, it probably would be, like, a train ride or whatever, but everyone seems to be going to New York for, like, an overnight. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a long drive, I guess, is my only point. Yeah. It's upstate New York. Okay. But I do love how, like, her, I guess it's George Bailey's mom at this point because it's them talking out in front of their house, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she's like, 
Man, Mary don't want to fuck that dude. He's always putting his fingers on his head and saying hee-haw. Ain't nobody <laughs> wanting to have sex with that. I mean, she could have been rich, but whatever. <laughs> he was rich. I mean, he wasn't rich yet. Like, there's no way for Mary to have known that he was going to strike it big in plastics. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, he's like, there's this new thing called plastic. It's going to be huge. Like, okay, guy. You make it out of soybeans? Whatever. Whatever. Nerd. So he kind of goes for a walk. He runs into Violet first. And this is where he's like, what if we took our shoes off and walked through the fields and stared at the moon? Just the ravings of a crazy person. And she's like, yeah, I think that's uh, you. Have fun with just yourself. But by the time that he's like done describing it, there's like a crowd laughing at him. Again, because... Literally, there's no TV past six o'clock at this time in the world. So, like, they're just out and about trying to see shit like this going down in town. Right, right, right. And she does turn him down pretty spectacularly in this scene. <laughs> yep. So he then wanders to Mary's house and she's just like, so are you coming in or not? Because your mom said you were coming over. And he was just like, I don't know, because he's still definitely drunk. And, like, this is not <laughs> a good. He should have waited probably till the next day, I would say. No, you got to do something now. Do it now. His mom called first. What happens between him and Mary sort of breaks my heart in this scene. Like the way she like had been clearly building up for this moment. Like she has been thinking about this her entire time at school because she was at college, right? She was at college and she had come home a couple times, but I don't think she had seen him. Yeah. It doesn't seem like or maybe had only seen him in passing yeah. or whatever. But she's playing Buffalo Gals once you come out tonight on the record player. She has and like, like a picture of him lassoing the moon. It's yeah, so she drew cute. a picture. It's yeah. Cute. And he is just like an asshole to her. Well, he's drunk. Like, I don't think he he's like not really remembering because she's like this night is burned into her memory. And he's just like, oh, right. That song, I guess. Like, I don't. It's clear because of how the movie sets it up. But she's been in love with him her whole, her whole life. Right. Yes, so it absolutely. makes sense that she would have built the Buffalo Gal night. Right. You know, where they had fallen in the pool. She had built that way up bigger in her mind than he had because Mary's just his friend's kid sister, I think. Until... No, I think he has feelings for her. But yeah, I think, I he, think knows he develops them on that Buffalo he night. He does not want to yeah. get involved because he won't be able to go live his life or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sam calls from New York and they're talking and we see... We cut away to Sam and see that there's another girl there, which I think is to make us feel less bad about what's about to happen. That girl is all over him, too. Like, she is Absolutely. hanging on him. And I think it is the same girl that he ends up with later. Like, I think so, too. I think it's the same girl that they go to, he goes to Florida with yes. um, at towards the end of the movie or whatever. So, like, Sam's fine. He found his Mary or whatever. Right. Yeah, whatever. I, I don't feel bad for Sam. So... Sam is like, one word for you, plastics. And they're like, what? And and George is like, well, there's, there's an old factory that you could buy for super cheap. And he's like, perfect. Put all of your money in our stock or whatever. And as they're on the phone, they're getting closer and closer and closer. So it seems like they're going to have, it's kind of romantic because they're up close listening. And he just <laughs> drops the phone and he's like, I don't want any plastics. I don't want to marry anybody. And then he just like... <laughs> aggressively kisses around her face yes in front of her mom i love a good weird ass emotional outburst it is so funny because Paige, during the phone call you're right their bodies are like pressed against each other it's like electricity yeah yeah, they are on top of each other and then he just like throws the phone to the ground and like pins her up against the wall and is like you're right it's not like kissing her no he kisses around her face and i have uh facts and fun facts as to why is it because 
he spontaneously went blind and couldn't find her lips like no there's a huge section of that kiss that is cut out by the sensors there's a lot of weird cuts when they're together yes and it does look like it's like edited out because like this the yeah. night in the abandoned house same thing it was like i think he went in for it and they're like no i can't you can't do that yeah because there there is a cut there uh and it is sensors uh is why because censorship was very different at the time damn i wonder if there was like an x-rated version of this mm. i mean it's a wonderful petite more <laughs> anyway so it's in front of her mom who goes running up the stairs and is like ah, and she's like scandalized or whatever we cut to they have gotten married and violet is her bitchy bridesmaid who has like upstaged her with her dress that day which i thought was very funny violet goes to this wedding very much with the energy of oh i guess we both wore white that's weird <laughs> <laughs> well this is also this is the thing of back in the day especially at this time especially around wartime uh, you didn't necessarily always buy a wedding dress. Some people still did, but not necessarily. Some people just put on their best clothes yeah. and got married. Yeah, this is before capitalistic wedding culture. That's actually, that is true because that becomes a huge thing in the 50s. Yeah, I've read stories of uh, paratroopers bringing their parachutes home because their wives or girlfriends wanted to make wedding dresses out of it. Of course, yeah. I, of course, those were white for the most part, I'd imagine. So like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought that was a cool story from the this time. My grandmother got married in 1949. Okay, would have been after the war. And she has a full wedding dress. Um, and so does my uh, great aunt who gets married around uh, just a few years later. But before that, uh, a lot of times you'll see people married in kind of these like suit dresses, which are kind of cool. But so, yeah, so she's just wearing her nicest dress. I've seen day. some of those from this time, like in movies of this time. Yeah. They are pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. They're kind of unique looking. I don't know, Paige. I'm probably using this term incorrectly. So if I am correct, sure. they're very like pantsuit, but like sexy feminist mid-century like pantsuits. And it like works. Not like Hillary Clinton oh, yeah. pantsuit. Like Doris Day pantsuit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Catherine Hepburn pantsuit. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's sexy yeah. too, man. Like I'm here for it. Ooh, look at that thing with the pants. <laughs> they get in the backseat of a cab and they're making out and it's this one cab driver because there's one cab in this town he's the whole town's like transportation it's like in wedding singer where they have the one limo driver in town it's oscar from the office i love yes wait no that's not what that's you're thinking of the the proposal the proposal i think yes. the proposal yeah but he yeah. serves the same function as that guy from The Wedding Singer. Exactly, exactly. He's like the, we need a guy to do this. Well, let's just have that guy do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, and he's got champagne for them, which is very sweet. From the cop, by the way. And I was like, open container laws, but apparently, whatever. They didn't exist. I don't, you could technically DUI until like the 80s. Yeah. So as they're driving, they pass... Uh, a crowd of people at the bank, as well as they pass the savings savings and loan. Now, this is after, or at least it, kind of in the middle of the Great Depression, but it's after 1929 because the high school dance was in 1928. So this is like 1933, give or take. Uh, and so he gets out of the car to see what's going on and notices that the banks are closed, which is something that like, it definitely happened in 1929 for the Great Depression, but people don't realize that it happened for years after that as well. And that it was kind of like a wave of unsecured funds in banks no longer being available and people just losing all of their money. Yeah. The banks have closed. He opens uh, and talks to his uncle. And I don't know why his uncle has like a pet crow and a pet squirrel through the oh, rest of his movie. Oh, his uncle is 
weird. But his uncle has like a menagerie of animals. Like he's a Disney princess getting ready in the morning. Like it's so strange. Squirrel, blackbird, all sorts. He's got a crow. Yeah, it's weird. He also has string tied around his fingers to help him remember remember stuff. Which how does that even work? Like it's just a string. That was a thing back in the day. I know, but how do you know what you're trying to remember? Unless you have like tags on it for like what you're trying to remember. (laughs) They're like little toe tags with like what you're supposed to do. That's why they were called palm pilots. Because the tag would hang on your palm. And there you go. Hello. I'm just picturing the tags are like grocery, do laundry. And then one is just like Ethel, 1928, (laughs) 2005. (laughs) Like just one of them is like, oh, shit, go to the morgue. Oh, man, this string was don't lose (laughs) (laughs) $8,000. Shit. Um, But he basically (laughs) says... Oh, and at one point while they're making out in the back of the cab, he like barks at her. That was a little strange for me, but whatever. So he basically, the uncle says that the banks called in all their loans that morning and he gave them all the cash they had Yeah, because the banks are trying to cover as much as they can. So they called in all their loans. And so now they have no cash to give people. They probably will within 60 days, but nobody is willing to wait that 60 days. Yeah, People need money right now and the banks are closed. So Potter calls and is like, hey, I have enough money to basically secure the entire town at 50 cents to the dollar. So like, I'll pay you half so you have money now, but it means you didn't lose your money, which, by the way, they wouldn't have necessarily lost their money, at least at at the building and loan, if they'd been able to wait the 60 days. 60 days, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so he says, no, you know what? I'm going to pay these people out. And they pay essentially their wedding honeymoon fund like the entire thing of money they have for their trip which the idea that two thousand dollars could keep a bank afloat for a day is madness and you said this was 1933 right yeah it's about 1933 i think so two thousand dollars in 1933 to today's dollars that would be about 45 almost forty six thousand dollars so like maybe I bet the maybe. bank that's even close to me and I'm like in the suburbs of Nashville goes through way more than forty five thousand dollars in a oh, day. Oh, I would imagine so. Yeah. 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 Or at least has to have that much money on hand. Yeah. Because if everyone pulled all their money out, there's no way. Are you kidding me? You it's know. next to a Taco Bell. There's definitely mm-hmm. going to be a, a run on the Taco Bell. For the border, you know, <laughs> if you will. So they end up paying everyone out everything. They end up with $2 at the end of the day. I love their little wedding ceremony they have. And like the, yeah. you better get in that safe and start breeding if you want us to survive. <laughs> that yes. was very funny. But Mary calls and is like, just come home to 326 Sycamore, and this is that house that is basically an old broken down house, Uh, and they're putting posters over the windows of the places they were going to visit, Uh, and then they're definitely going to bump uglies in this house, presumably for the second time, if Mikey and I are to be believed. Mm -hmm. As we should. I mean, it's at least the first time. It's their wedding night, right? And as Mm -hmm. we all know from our youth, true love waits. If it was me, though, I would be choose the right because that's like the Mormon version of it. But yeah, 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 yeah. True true love waits till you find the right dilapidated house Mm -hmm. with just enough splinters. (laughs) We we cut to this is where she says this is what I wished for. And I was like, you should have wished for more windows. But like you got to hold out, man. (laughs) You could do better. We cut from here to a very stereotypical borderline racist depiction of Italians. Now, this movie is made by Frank Capra, who is Italian, and his last name, Capra, means goat, 
which is part of why they have a goat in the car. But also, there okay. are multiple times in this movie where people like throw shade at George Bailey for lending money and building houses for Italians, which is like, that's how you know this movie is old, is they're yeah. like, Italians, right? Because <laughs> it's racist <laughs> towards a subsect of white people. A subsect of white people? Yeah. That's like, how old this movie ugh. is. Man, yeah. If it was older, it would be the Irish. It would. You're Technically, right. It could have also been the Irish right around the same time. Yeah. What you're describing, Mikey, is far and away, which is far and away oh. a better love story than this. I actually don't know if that's true because I've not watched that film in many, many, many years. I know we've talked about doing it before, and it's not We're my, gonna do it. It's not my pick for next week, but I definitely think we should visit Gangs of New York, the prequel, which is oh. far and away. I think Far Gangs Away is better is than terrible. Gangs. Better than Gangs of New York. I don't know, Bill. I, I think I'm we have to do both, sure. and we'll figure it out. Actually, I don't know if Gangs, Gangs of New York, York is not a love story. Gangs of New York is not a love story. Anyway, so they transport this giant Italian family with a goat and like 15 children to their new home that they help them build. And we cut to a few years later where now they have like a development of homes and it's called Bailey Park. So it's kind of like he built a subdivision. And they are kind of welcoming welcoming them to their house with, you know, bread so you never go hungry, salt so life always has flavor, and wine so you always have joy and mirth and whatever. Yeah. It actually is kind of sweet. Like, it's a very nice thing for them to do. Yeah. It's it's a nice tradition. Yeah, it's sweet. Even if they are a dirty Italian. <laughs> hey, <Sorry. laughs> you know the dirty Italians love bread and wine. That's what do we do? Why the no that's why they make the best of food. <laughs> yep. I mean, a dude named Martini who owns a bar, it's pretty cool. I mean, he's just going into the family business. Oh, also, Martini's his last oh, name. Fair. His first name is Giuseppe. He's Giuseppe Martini. <laughs> his wife is literally like one third of his age. Uh, Yeah, I mean, yes. He is ancient <laughs> and she is like in her 20s. They're yeah. like a three-year-old and he's like... 64 years old yes well i mean it, i don't know working back then it aged you quick he's probably 35 he just looks 60 i mean yeah because look at george bailey who looks conservatively 40 and is supposed to be like 23 <laughs> oh yeah anyway so we cut to potter's office where one of his like assistants is like hey by the way all these people own homes now and most of them used to pay you rent so this is now cutting into your business so he calls george bailey in to be like hey what if you came and worked for me instead and we closed your business and he's like no and then he says are you willing to stay trapped in a life you hate playing nursemaid to garlic eaters which first of all garlic is delicious Everyone yes. should eat garlic. You should. It is not just an Italian thing. Secondly, I'm a proud to be a garlic eater. Well, back then, they considered it spicy. It is still spicy, and spicy is good. Flavor is good. They considered garlic spicy back in the day? Raw garlic in large amounts can still be spicy, by the way. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I've never had a, a garlic in large enough quantities for it to be spicy like I would describe as spicy. So it's interesting that that's like a, a thing you would say that, too. Yeah, it's it's not the same as like a chili pepper. Like, it's it's got a different... It's almost like it's sharp as opposed to spicy, I guess. Yeah, I am now like wondering about like spicy obviously comes from the word spice, which right. I would throw every type of flavor profile into a, a spice, right? But right. like I only use spicy for things that are like hot, like right. peppers, like things like right. that that you mentioned. So it's interesting if like that's just the way Americans use it or if that's an evolution of that word over time. I just wonder about that kind of shit. Maybe. I know my grandmother used to eat raw garlic 
all the time. Like just from the clove? Oh, yeah. She would also drink Oof. vinegar. Yeah. Oof. Okay, cool. But she also was rarely sick, and that woman lived to be straight up 90. And vampires never killed her. Vampires never killed her. Not even in the old country. Because <laughs> if you eat garlic, even your farts are poisonous to vampires. Oh, yeah. they You will fart your partner out of the room. My grandmother also believed that if you had warts, you would cut a potato ha in half, rub it on your warts, and then bury it in the garden, and your warts would go away. And we thought it was real stupid until my mom had this wart that would not go away. And my grandmother made her put a potato on it. And then lo and behold, that wart went away. We don't really know how it works. Just like Windex. That's how it works. <laughs> yes. I don't know. Something about onions on your feet. Like it's a whole thing. I don't even know. Anyway. So he's like, no, I won't work for you. But I am taking that cigar. Uh, and so. <laughs> oh, by the way. He offers him $20,000 a year in that Correct. scene. Correct, yeah. Do you know how much that is now? $400,000. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's about where I would put it is like $400,000. Yeah, so it's $458,000 a year. Yeah, it's crazy. Because he's making $45 a week. Yeah. Wild. That's a lot to turn down. That's a lot to turn down. He comes yeah. back to his house uh, where she has the framed lasso the moon drawing and he climbs into bed with her and there's a couple bad cuts here. Because of how you're allowed to show. Because there's a full on sex scene that they cut I mean, out. that'd be great. But no, uh, it's because you're only of what you're allowed to show of men and women in bed together. Even though they are married, it's very rare to see men and women in the same bed at this time on film. That's wild just because of what we see now in film. But like, yeah, you can very clearly see the cuts that they didn't want to do. Right. Because the, there are cuts that stand out and you're like, oh, oh, that's weird. Yeah. And it's I can tell you what it is. They're not moving far enough. Yeah. Down like the 365 degree angle. I think it's like 35 degrees. Yeah. Uh, on, along the 180 axis. If you move 35 degrees or more, it's fine. Right. But if you l move less than that or just zoom in slightly or stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It bothers the brain a little bit. And you can see yep. those shots in this. Absolutely. And he, you know, they have a really cute conversation here of like, why did you marry me to keep you from being an old, old maid? And I didn't want to marry anybody else. I want my baby to look like you. And this is where we find out that she is pregnant. Yeah. And we find out that she then has four more children. They have two children. Then World War II happens and she has two more children and runs the USO. And his mother and her mother start sewing for the Red Cross. And George is uh, disqualified from the draft because of his age, which is funny because he's only in his mid-20s. Oh, I thought it was because of his ear. Oh, his ear. That makes way more sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's his ear. He can't hear out of one ear. So they say in it, they're like disqualified because of age. He was 4F because of age. And I was like, he was like 25. Oh, like, I thought it was doing? because of his ear. Yeah, the he's ear way makes too young. perfect sense. Yeah, yeah, he's the... way too young to not be eligible. Like, But no, the <laughs> ear is definitely like that would be what it was. Yeah. 100%. They say it. <laughs> no, no, no. They said 4F because of age. So unless un unless they say it later, but that I mean, that would make more sense because I wrote down here. I was like, age. What? Like, why? Yeah, it's so weird. It's weird. But his brother goes and becomes like a literal World War Two ace. Yes. Like shoots down 15 planes or whatever. Yeah, they, like, they're like, you're 15. That's a lot. That is a lot. Like he would be one of the top aces in the U.S. Oh. military. This is before we had an actual Air Force. Everything yeah. was Army. Well, and this is this is the part of the movie where we get a montage of like, and this character did this. And you're like, I don't know who that is, nor do yeah. I care. They yeah. literally tell us like what the taxi driver did in the war. Yeah. And like he fought at the Battle of the Bulge and shit like that. And we're like, cool. I don't yeah. know who he is. 
weird. None of them died. No, none of them died. You know what would be more accurate? Everyone but George Bailey dies. Yeah. Because he didn't go. Right. Well, not in World War II. Vietnam, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's probably more accurate. I guess we did do a little bit better in World War II. Well, yeah, because well, we only World came War in at I, the end. Only 25% of the people who went there died. Yeah, and World War II was even less. That I mean, that's great. We still lost hundreds of thousands, right? It was a lot yeah. of people. But well, percentage-wise, you're right. Like, I guess if they sent five people from a town, and I'm making this figure up, but 12% die, you might have those five people survive, you know? Yeah, I was on a Reddit thread where historians were trying to do the math of survival statistics of people who joined up day one, what are their chances to make it through day, to, to do Armistice Day, and it was very interesting. That would be interesting. I'm a nerd for shit like that, though. I have some of it right here. So just oh, cool. under 300,000 Americans died. So 298,000 okay. American di Americans died. However, 4,200,000 Germans died because at, at the end, Hitler running out of resources, caught in a land war in Siberia. He's just like throwing, throwing people, at, the problem, people yeah. at problem. Which is why Russia had such high deaths as well. I think they had like 25 million. The Japanese lost almost 2 million people, although a lot Jeez. of that is the bomb. Russia suffered the greatest total number of dead, about 18 million. Almost 6 million Polish people died, which was 20% yeah. of their entire population. So That's crazy. Yeah. So out of 70 million like who fought in the war, 300,000 Americans are lost. So and America only joins in the last couple of years. So that means you know pretty if you joined in America when we entered your odds of survival were astronomically greater than they were for other countries and other places. Yeah. Anyway, turns out that Harry's going to get the Congressional Medal of Honor and his mom has flown up to Washington to have lunch with the First Lady and it is Christmas Eve. So we cut to the office where George has picked up a wreath and it seems like business is going well because they have a bunch of those houses uh, and the bank examiner's there. Yeah. Great. Uh, we cut to Uncle Billy at the bank bumbling around, not paying attention. I don't know why they're letting him handle money. He has animal friends and no sense of reality. He thinks he's a Disney princess. Like, that is his level of intellect. Yeah. His best friends are animals. Do not give this man $8,000 in cash. Which, at the time, was approximately $200,000. It's a lot. I can give you the exact, because you're very... Very close? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. definitely the ballpark. It's $183 thousand dollars page okay so yeah you're like definitely in the ballpark of two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> right that this dude is walking over in his disney princess haze yes and like back then you had to like carry the actual money to the bank where it actually stayed in the bank and all that stuff yeah yeah and so he tries to brag to potter about harry winning the medal of honor and leaves that envelope of cash in the newspaper, which I hope that at some point they find out that Potter's the one who had the cash and turn him into the police or something, because like he essentially like steals that money. He does. In a way, like, yeah. you know, he knows who it belongs to. We you don't know? ever see the end result of that, right? Like, obviously, no. it focuses on something else. But I really do want Drew Barrymore's granddad to have some sort of blowback for this, right? Like, right. he just stole $8,000. Dude's already rich. Like, we should kill him. I mean, maybe not that. <laughs> but, like, follow me on this. If it worked for Caesar to kill, like, other wealthy people and then redistribute that wealth 
to the masses. Well, do you remember what Caesar, happened to it Caesar, though? It didn't work yeah, it well didn't for Caesar. It didn't work out great for Caesar. Okay, some of the later Caesars fucked up. Okay, I'll be honest with you. First, not great. No, no, no. The, the first, the first gonna, Caesar gets stabbed on the steps of the Brutally Senate. murdered. Brutally murdered. But you cannot say it didn't go great for Augustus after a few years of turmoil, right? You know, Augustus like, went okay. Yeah. Augustus no, went okay because he's Caesar the one who does the census. definitively the, the start of the decline of the Roman Empire. Well... Yes and no. It's the decline of the ancient Roman Empire, but the uptick of the Holy Roman Empire, technically not actually related, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And listen, all I'm saying is that like Elon Musk is worth like what, a hundred and some billion dollars? Dead or alive. Exactly. And if we just killed him, I think we could give everyone like 150 bucks in the US. But that's like if you did like, I'm going to kill Elon Musk, distribute his wealth or put him in prison and distribute his wealth. And also be dictator of America. Oh, I don't want to do any of that shit, though. Like, I don't want any responsibility. Caesar had a definitive second step there that really changed yeah, the outcome. Yeah, because when he crossed the Rubicon, yes. Listen, I think he had some good ideas. I don't think he should have killed the rich people. Maybe tax them more. Kanye, I'm going to stop you right here. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't know a ton about Caesar's social policies. I actually do. It is fascinating. He's kind of like Palpatine because he has the Senate, but they, they can't overrule him. A little bit. He starts out a little bit better off because prior to Caesar, Rome was kind of like a warring state where its mm -hmm. army was comprised of the nobility. Yeah. And they policed their own portions of the city. So people were just like dying in the streets. Not that they weren't dying in the streets later because it's Rome, but he does bring about some reforms that pull power away from the financial elite and equalize it a little bit. That's part of why the financial elite don't like him and why they stab him. When does Russell Crowe come in? That is way towards the end of uh, the emperors in Rome. Commodus is way towards the end. Either way, I don't even know how we got here. Hashtag fuck Potter. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> no one is pro Potter, except for, I don't know, Pottersville did look super cool. <laughs> Pottersville looked like a more fun place to visit, not necessarily live. Yeah. Agreed. That's kind of like whenever I go to, we have these out, like real famous outdoor malls that the guy who built them tried to run for mayor and the lost. It's like a whole thing. Anyway, so like, Fairfield? Uh, yeah, Caruso, but like, yeah. yeah. So these beautiful outdoor malls and they all have apartment buildings on top of them. And they're super expensive, like luxury apartments. But every time I go to those malls, I'm like, who would live here? Like, what kind of waking nightmare would it be to live on top of the busiest malls in Los Angeles? Like, who, like, what kind of noise? Are these like triple paned windows? Like, <laughs> what is your life like if you live here? Like, how much do you pay to park at your own house? Like, it's just crazy. But I feel like that's what it would be like living in Pottersfield. You'd just be like, this used to be a nice neighborhood. Yeah, you probably would be like that. Yeah. Whatever. I'm going down to the casino. <laughs> Fun fact. Uh-oh. Inside the universal pocket that is Pottersville without George Bailey, that's actually where the Great Gatsby takes place. Gatsby takes place in New York. Where do you think Pottersville is? It's in Bedford. Like that's the whole point of them. It's <laughs> it's here where we are with George Bailey. But if you see he's going down Pottersville Main Street, you see a green light in the background. Oh, I didn't because it was in it was no, in black that's and a, white that's for a me. Very, that's a very weird <laughs> like green light at the end of the dock. Like, no, I I get I yeah. get yeah. it. I yeah. get it. But also, yeah. no, nothing was green for me. <laughs> I refused to watch this in color. <laughs> anyway. 
So he can't find the money. He freaks out. He searches everywhere. He goes back. He tells George about it. Everyone's freaking out. The bank uh, examiner is there to review the books. And they're just like, oh, God, no. And as the bank examiner's there, he's like, George gives some money to Violet who is going to New York, but it definitely seems just friendly. They're not having an affair or anything. Yeah, we see them in his closed office together. She does kiss him on the cheek because she's in like a tight spot and he is loaning her money to help her out and get her out of town, right? George has a hard time saying no to helping people. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I, but I agree with you, Paige. I don't think he's like hitting that. I think he's just helping that get out of town. I think he's just helping her. Uh, But so this is where they're like, oh, my God, we don't have that money. And for some reason, Uncle Billy has like, it's Uncle Billy, right? Yeah. Unfortunately. (laughs) Uncle Uncle Baby Billy. Uh, He's got like (laughs) a squirrel and elixirs and a giant bag of Funyuns. And at this point, George is like, one of us is going to fucking prison and it's going to be your ass. Like, I'm not doing it. He is like yelling and shaking his uncle. It's like, honestly, not great, but I understand it. Yes. George is a good guy, but he's, you know, he he's has got his emotions. limits. He has his limits, he guys. His, his limits. uncle did lose $8,000. The equivalent of almost $200,000, guys. I would be mad at the 8000 now. I cannot fathom the amount of anger I would have for two hundred. Mikey, if I gave you $200,000 of cash that the podcast made in this dream world where we make that much money, uh-huh. and you lost it, not just like, my payout, like, Michael, I need you to take this to the bank and deposit it in our business account. This is company funds. Yeah, it's yeah. not like he stole your paycheck or something. That's a different issue. This is like yeah. company funds. Yeah, this is bad news, Bears. I'd be like, I'm sorry. I had to stop and gloat at an elderly man. <laughs> that is essentially what Uncle Baby Bobby Billy does in this scene. Yeah. You see this giant bag of Funyuns? You get there by being a winner. <laughs> anyway, he goes back to his house and his kids are being children. And he's just like, I can't fucking take it. Although I do love that the youngest one has a Santa mask on and is just growling. And I find that hilarious. There's no way that was written in. that kid. That's just what that kid was going to do that day. <laughs> And they captured that magic. I think that's Zuzu. Yeah, no, Zuzu's the one that's upstairs. Uh, uh, that's which right. That's I have right. a fun fact about why her name is Zuzu. Uh, but is it Susie? It's Zuzu. Z u z u. I believe it's probably Z o u z o u. Oh, she's adopted from Whoville. No, it's it's a <laughs> kind of like a, a shortened French phrase that means beautiful, but that's not why she's named that. She's named after a popular ginger cookie. Oh. At the time. But I'll talk about it in fun facts. I just looked it up and it is Z-U-Z-U, which is, is weird okay. to me. because. And I'll, I'll say this. I don't know how to spell anything. So when I said Z-U-C-U, I was like, because maybe. And then when you spelled maybe. it, I was like, no, of course that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, in, in my mind, I thought it was... Uh, as in like Zooby Zooby Zoo, uh, which is a song that gets popularized in the 60s. But anyway, so it's oh, yeah. a, it's Zuzu Ginger Biscuits. Yeah. Yeah. So no, this is not Zuzu. This is the baby of the family. Yeah. But it reminded me of, and I can't remember, was it, is it Overboard where the one kid decides to talk like Pee Wee Herman the whole time? And that's yes. just what that kid was doing. <laughs> yes. And they couldn't get him to stop doing it. Yeah. I think that's what's happening here with this child growling as Santa. Although I support a Santa that growls. Same. Anyway, George fucking loses it because it's like too much. And he's like, I hate this house. I hate these kids. I hate fucking everything. Like I'm going to go to fucking prison. Like I can't do this. And so he does go up to see Zuzu who has a cold because she like walked home 
without her coat because she didn't want to crush a flower that she won at school. It's, you know, it's a kid thing. Yeah, she's doing kid shit. Like, and I do love that George Bailey, like, calls and, like, reads the teacher the riot act for, like... Yes. He, like, way oversteps at this moment. It's so funny to me. Well, and as he goes up and down the stairs, the finial on the... Uh, banister comes off Yeah You see a message A few times Throughout the movie Actually It's like yeah, his Yeah and that drives him nuts Yeah it's like his uh, I can't even get This house in order Kind of like moment That we see a few times Right Yeah um, But yeah He goes off on that teacher And then her husband And he's like <laughs> Oh I wish you would Come over here And you're just like Calm down wow. man Yeah I do love how that Pays off though Like the whole Yes He gets punched In martinis later Because of it Yeah So we cut to He leaves And he goes to Potter And is like I need $8,000 because Uncle Baby Billy's Funyun bag of tricks lost it. (laughs) And Potter's just like, oh, so you misappropriated funds? I think I'll call the police about it. Yeah. Because he's an asshole. Even though he has the money, he knows he has the money. Literally, if he called the police and the police weren't in his pocket and actually searched him and found the money, he'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean, he's not going to be because he owns them, probably. Right. The one guy? Yeah, the one policeman. (laughs) He's pretty Team Bailey. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Maybe they do have a chance with the one police officer in town. And then, like, the DA's like, this warrant? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we cut to Martini's where George goes and gets overserved. And this is where he runs into the teacher's husband who just like punches the shit out of him. Lays him out. It's so great. Yeah, but Martini is like, well, you're my friend. We'll kick that guy out. Are you okay? And he leaves and drives drunk into a tree. And they show that accident. And I loved it. Yep. It's like a Model T car wreck. Like, how often do you see a Model T run into a tree? Never. Uh, So he goes to the bridge where he's going to jump off to allegedly that's how he's going to, unfortunately, complete suicide. But Clarence comes and is just like, hold my beer. Yeah. (laughs) An hour and a half into the movie. We finally see Clarence. Clarence. Uh, Then we cut to like the bridge office or whatever. That is... Not what it's called, but also right. is exactly what, is it what called? it's called. I don't know. Like I have no idea. Is it like is it a drawbridge? No, it's just a bridge bridge. They had jobs for everything back there. What a what a good economy that was. Well, I mean, we have like the Golden Gate Bridge has an office somewhere, I would assume. And every day they're painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, they do. I it know. takes them almost it takes them almost a year to do it every every They day. have a whole staff that all they do is paint the Golden Gate Bridge. But, but guys, this is not a big bridge. This is the Golden Gate of Bedford Falls. <laughs> and they have oh one guy who paints it all year, Mikey. It's not a whole it's team. The same, it's the same style of bridge, I will say, where it's yeah. got the walkways on either side. and then I don't you know, can... man. All of Bedford, Bedford Falls look like gray, darkish. It's because it was black and white. I mean, oh, if oh, you saw oh, it oh. in color, yeah. Except there was this one green light that I forgot to mention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's at the end of the dock. Yeah, yeah, you get Paige, it. it has to be like the bridge painting office or whatever, right? Like In my mind, I viewed Bedford Falls as kind of like Ossining in Mad Men. D- uh, did either of you watch Mad Men? I did, but I don't even know what word you just used. The suburbs. <laughs> o- Ossining okay. is, the si- is the suburb where okay, yes. uh, Betty and the kids live. I get it. Um, and yes, it does have that vibe. Yes, and as he takes the train into New York, it goes over like a bridge over a lake or a river or something. Yeah. That's kind of what I pictured it as. Yeah. Anyway, so they're in the bridge office, and the bridge worker... Guy, I don't know. He's like, this guy's an angel, clearly. And he just bails out. 
He's just like, I'm gone. Yeah. And immediately believes Clarence when Clarence is like, I'm an angel, second class. This scene between Clarence and George goes on four times longer than it needs to be because they just talk in circles. Yeah. Have you ever talked to an angel that's like childlike in nature, Paige? <laughs> I mean, I've talked to people who have believed they are angels and you do circle back around quite often. Mm-hmm. You sort of have to live in that delusion with them, right? Sure, 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 sure. You're like, but if you're an angel, where are all of your eyes? The emotions that come with the delusion are real. So you reflect the emotions we don't have to get into it, but you have to be a patient talker. I'm not. Anyway, so he tries to talk George out of completing suicide, and he does, because George at this point is like, you're right, I was not thinking clearly, there's got to be an answer or whatever. And he's like, well, you know, why would you think that this was the answer anyway? He's like, because my life insurance policy is worth 15000 which So basically, like, insurance fraud could at least save my family, I think is what he's thinking. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be fraud because he actually would have taken his own life, but I understand what Except you're saying. Except yeah. that most insurance policies exclude suicide that's true and if they spun it as he slipped in and drowned right obviously right, right. that that would be covered and i think maybe that's why he was trying to do it that way although we don't really go into yeah. it who knows some of those provisions weren't i mean that's true it might have not been the thing at the time which is why bell Ganes got away with murdering people for so long because triflers need not apply all right she killed like 20 husbands essentially and then just constantly cashed in their insurance policy that's terrible. Is it or is it girl bossing to the max? It's murder. You have a page. weird fascination with murderers. And it's honestly at this point a problem. Deal with it. Anyways. <laughs> She's like your Tina Fey, and that concerns me. No. She never wrote anything as amazing as Werewolf Bar Mitzvah. Spooky scary. So at this point, George is like, I just I wish I had never been born. It feels like I cause problems. Which I feel like is something. If you talk to people who are having suicidal ideations, I feel like that's very common. Oh, yeah. To hear. Yeah. And you have to kind of be like, no, that's not true. These people love you. But it's not always like it's sometimes it's chemicals making people believe that. So, you know. Yeah. Like anyway, all this to say the world is not better off without you. You are loved, you are listened to, and you are a part of this horror virgin community. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so he's like, well, what if you had never been born? I'm going to show you that, essentially. He's like, I got to talk to my boss first to make sure I can do it. Like, I need to authorize. I got to get this approved from legal upstairs, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. uh, if we can get it approved, you're going to love it. You're going to love seeing what it's like. The coupon is expired, but, like, she's here. (laughs) So... I hated retail so much. Sucked. Anyway, he proceeds to show him what would happen if he was not born. So first they go to Martini's, which is actually now Nick's. It's not Martini's because Martini, I think, never established the financial stability to open Martini's because he did not own a home. I mean, yeah, we never really even see Martini. It's like Martini doesn't exist because George Bailey didn't exist to provide the resources for him to pick himself mm-hmm, up by mm-hmm. his bootstraps. Yeah, or whatever. Which is the point they're trying to make. Uh, but Nick right. is the guy running the bar, which he is also the bartender there. So I, I think that George assumes initially that he's just like working that shift because he's, you know, he didn't right. work there before. Right, And right. then it becomes clear that Nick owns the place as he like gets more and more like, what are you guys talking about? Just leave. Like, we, yeah. like, I hate Bye. both of your energies. Get out. Like, he kicks yes. them both out. Yeah. Well, and he kicks Mr. Gower out, which at, at this point I was like, how is Mr. Gower still alive? Like, <laughs> wh- 
He was old 20 years ago. And Mr. Gower <laughs> is... A panhandler. Yeah, he's like a panhandler. Well, and he he had spent 20 years in jail for poisoning that family. Yes, and that's that what I was, gonna, I was trying to tie back into. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, George wasn't there to stop him from killing that family with the poison. Right. Uh, so next, he's trying to explain to him, like, hey, the, there is no you. You were never born, so your kids aren't born. Like, all this other stuff doesn't happen. You get to see what the world is like without you. And so this is where he goes to Pottersville, where it's all flashy lights and bars and dance clubs. And they're throwing a drunk Violet out of a bar, like violently onto the street. Yeah, she's having a rough this night. This is terrible. This is a terrible place. Not a place <laughs> I'd want to live. Anyway. No. I'd go visit. I mean, who wants to live in Vegas? But I'd go visit Vegas. Honestly, though, if you live off this like no i mean like the strip yeah i I, yeah no never yeah but if you live off the pottersville strip it's like pretty good Eh, i mean it's you could get some affordable ass housing in vegas but you can it's vegas yeah you gotta you gotta live basically a close to vegas and b in the desert yeah but some people love the desert some people are real desert people it's a dry high heat dry high heat that's why people live in palm springs honestly i'd rather live in palm springs than vegas personally but that's same anyway he's like he goes to the taxi guy and he's like taxi Taxi friend, take me home. And the taxi friend's like, I've never seen you before in my life. And my wife left me three years ago and took the children. And now I live in a shack. And you're just like, jeez. You overshare way too fast. <laughs> Look, I know you have tiny water bottles. But this is not good conversation. I'm still going to rate you five stars because I'm not a monster. But right? dial it back. Yeah. Anyway, the house is still old and decrepit. Nobody fixed it up. There's no Mary. There's no kids. Everything is burned down. At which point I realized that the taxi and the taxi driver and the police officer are Bert and Ernie. Yes. Yeah. I I didn't realize to the point and Sesame Street is not around at this time. So they no. must have named Bert and Ernie mm-hmm. after this Bert and Ernie. I assume so. Or it's a coincidence. But this definitely predates Sesame Street, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, at this point, they try to tackle them. Would you live at Sesame Street? Hell yes. Are you kidding me? That's a pretty Pottersville energy with like these no. big animals screwing stuff up all the time. Yeah, but it's just a nice row of brownstones. In my mind, it would be way more like Avenue Q than Sesame oh. Street. And then, yes, I would. If we all had to like watch what we say and if every meal was sponsored by the number whatever, like that would get annoying after a while. But if you're singing about what the fuck do I do with a BA in English, like that sounds amazing. I'm thinking of it as I'm a real person and the rest of the world is just puppets. Like I'm not bound by their rules. I'm just a person. And I'm like, this beautiful brownstone was so affordable and I can walk to the bodega right over there. This is great. Yeah. I just wish they clean these streets up because there's like green monster that lives in the trash cans. Nobody is helping him. He needs services, Mikey. Maybe he got offered services and turned them down. Wow. Because that's a real off to the garage move. It sounds like you're being the garage right now, Mikey. Being realistic by a complicated problem. Anyway, (laughs) so they try to run from Bert and Ernie, and Clarence bites one of their hands and then disappears. George runs away. He goes to his mother's house, and his mother's just like, I don't know you. (laughs) Like, Get off my porch. Yeah. Because she doesn't know him. Uh, then he tries to find Mary or no, he finds uncle. Oh, he asks about uncle Billy. Uncle Billy's been, uh, in an institution. Yeah. Then he finds Mary and she's like a spinster at 25, uh, coming out of the library. And they tried their best to make her look 40 in this, but she looks like Donna Reed. She's gorgeous. All they did was light her badly. Yeah. (laughs) 
for the first time in this film. Yeah. It was dark out. It was dark, and she wasn't wearing lipstick. But, and they also put glasses on her. Like, they tried yeah. to, like, yeah, they did try to, like, it's the reverse, she's all that. She's moment, all that. Really. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. tried, they tried to ugly her up. How dare she wear like, a ponytail and glasses? Anyway, he tries to chase after her, and she runs away, because that's fucking terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. If a man chased me down on the street and was like, but we've got kids, I'd be like, no, we fucking don't. Like, I think I would remember that. <laughs> like, yeah. No. You would. Yeah. Uh, she faints. Clarence punches uh, the cop and runs away. It's that same cop who gets punched twice, I think. Yeah. But George runs to the bridge and yells out for Clarence and basically says, give me back my wife and kids. Let me live again. The police pull up and they do recognize him and his mouth is bleeding. It's back to the way it was before. Yeah. It's like he daydreamed everything from when Clarence jumped in and he saved him up till now. Hey, double bourbons will do that to you. Yeah, man. Mess you up. Mess you up. That's my go-to drink. Yeah. He runs around screaming Merry Christmas. And I do love him running through like the town square. Yes. Just like haphazardly through the snow. Uh, it was pretty crazy. Goes home. And then he's like, oh, right. I'm going to prison for the $8,000. But like before that, let me hug my kids, essentially. Right. So as he's kind of hugging his kids and his wife, she's like, hold on. They're on their way. And Uncle Billy kind of ushers in the entire town and they all give him money in part because when the crash hit, he paid them out. And so it's kind of like their return on investment. Yeah. But at a certain point, I was like, it doesn't matter if he suddenly has new money to replace the 8K. It's still misappropriation of funds. Yeah. It's not misappropriation. He did lose it. Yeah. It's not appropriate to lose it. If George <laughs> yeah. wasn't there, his brother would have been institutionalized. His uncle. Maybe oh, yeah. Maybe that's another, where he should have been. Another member. Yes. <sighs> Eustace. He, Eustace is his other employee. I don't know why he... And he has him counting... Anyway, I did love that their former housekeeper is like, I was saving this money for a divorce just in case I ever got married. Funny line. <laughs> and I was like, that's a woman who thinks ahead. And... They get a wire from London for 25000 advanced, essentially. Yeah. Hee-haw and Merry Christmas. And so now even the bank examiner gives the money, which seems like a conflict of interest. Uh, and then the DA tears up the warrant and Harry comes back because he's now a decorated war veteran. And they toast to George and everyone is happy and every time a bell rings an angel gets his wings yeah. they find George's the, the book. richest man in town richest man George's in town. the richest man in town and Clarence gets his wings and, and that's, that's the movie. movie they do kind of yada yada that happy ending don't they yeah yeah they they're do like, I mean, like, we gotta wrap it up yeah yeah we we've spent two hours on nothing you care about but how about four minutes on the thing you do care about <laughs> it's like they like ran out of money and they were like shit we gotta wrap it up by the christmas tree and then get out of this bitch yeah <laughs> so i've seen this movie a thousand times and having Talked about it for about three hours. What do you guys think about It's a Wonderful Life? I love it. I like it a lot. I do think it is shot beautifully. Yeah. I won't be rushing to watch it again. It's not for me. But I understand why it's for other people. Mostly nostalgia. Yeah, I think it is mostly nostalgia. At least that is my experience with it. Because I sort of love it too, Mikey. But I do feel like it's because it's like a nostalgic thing for me. This is going to sound salacious, but it's not. I want to see like the 
unedited version of it like the one that like the censors didn't approve yeah because i think it would have like fixed some of the at least some of the weird like cuts that i don't like in this yeah. movie i wonder if they had to like add other stuff in like uh, well i mean more like the full scene of them in bed together like yeah that's the stuff that probably was more romantic that was cut mm. out because it was in the 40s you know and I, I would love to see that edit of this but this is a movie that i watch once a year and that's it because it's a tra- tradition I don't really want to watch it outside of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it is a full two hours of, like, yeah. movie. It is. You know? It's, it's kind of like I don't watch Lord of the Rings all that often because it's three hours of movie, you know? Like, yeah. you got to pick your spots with it. Absolutely. But, Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? Yes. Well, hit us with your fun facts. Bailey, fun facts. Oh, Bailey, fun facts. Okay. In 1947, an FBI analyst submitted, without comment, an addition to a memo on communist infiltration of the motion picture industry. (laughs) And that comment basically was that this film's obvious attempt to discredit bankers is, quote, a common trick used by communists. So for a brief point in time, uh, the McCarthy contingent of our government really hated this film. I love that. Which I find very funny. Yeah. I find it funny (laughs) that it became a classic despite that, which is pretty fun. But a lot of things that McCarthyism hated became classics, which is great. Yeah. When the, like, fascists hate something, it's probably something pretty cool. Right? So according to the lore of this film, Clarence Oddbody, which, by the way, yes, his last name is Oddbody. Wow. As if he's just the worst James Bond villain. Um, James Clarence Oddbody was born in May of 1653. Okay. Anyway, for the scene that requires Mary to throw a rock through the window of the house, the director actually hired a marksman to shoot the the window out on cue. But to everyone's amazement, she actually hit the window by herself first try. She does. Damn. You see it in the scene. I was like, yes. Damn. I was gonna ask. How many times it took to hit that But she did it the first time you said First time and she had played baseball in high school And had a strong throwing (sighs) arm so she did it herself And it's in the movie Awesome good for her that's dope Yep Uh, as Uncle Billy leaves the Bailey home earlier in the film He crashes into some trash cans But actually that's not what happened He walked off stage and a crew member Dropped a huge tray of props Right after he went off screen (laughs) And Jimmy Stewart started laughing And Thomas Mitchell, who played Uncle Billy, improvised, I'm all right, I'm okay, off screen, but close enough to catch on the microphones. So Frank Capra decides to use that take in the final cut and then paid that stagehand a $10 bonus for improving the sound of the film. Oh, that's awesome. Like, you know, accidental foley. Yeah. So that's cool. Now, Jimmy Stewart was actually really nervous about the phone kiss scene because it was his first on-screen kiss since he had returned to Hollywood from the war because he went to war and then came back to acting. Yeah. However, they actually filmed the scene in one unrehearsed take for chemistry, and it worked so well that it was cut, significantly cut down, because censors deemed that it was too passionate of a kiss. Wow. Yeah. That's nuts. I want to see that kiss. Same, because I love the kiss that's here. I mean, it is weird that he kisses around her whole face, but like, I'm down for a a bigger one, I guess. He's got an intense look. 
Apparently, you couldn't handle the full power of his kiss. I guess not. Because they had to cut it out. Hey, you know what? There are some amazing movie kisses that live rent-free in my brain. And, like, I'm always good to add to the Rolodex, but... Anyway, uh, so films made prior to this movie used to use painted cornflakes for snow. Uh, but because the cornflakes were so loud as they would hit the ground, dialogue would have to be dubbed in later. Yeah. And Frank Capra wanted to record the sound live. So they had to come up with a new way to make snow. And the way that they did it was by using the material that's inside fire extinguishers. Yeah, okay. Plus soap and water. And then it was pumped at high pressure through a wind machine to create silent falling snow. And it took them 6,000 gallons of the new snow wow. to do this film because they filmed it in July. Oh, my God. There's so much snow all over the ground in that town while he's running through it. Yep. That is nuts. Yeah. The RKO effects department uh, received a class three scientific or technical award from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, it's it, the precursor to the Oscars, essentially. I mean, it is an Oscar. basically. Yeah. Uh, but for specifically the development of new film snow. Another thing to note as well, when the kids are on the the shovels sledding, that's a soundstage. Yeah. That's yeah. what blows my mind about this. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, whether you find this movie depressing or not, you have to kind of watch that and be like, holy shit, they built a stage with an ice rink and a pond and all of it for this one scene that is like eight minutes long. <laughs> yeah. Irresponsible, honestly. But like, yeah. <laughs> So the set for Bedford Falls, the entire city, was constructed in two months what? and was one of the longest sets that had ever been made for an American movie. It actually covers four acres Jeez. of one of RKO's ranches in Encino because this is a thing that used to happen at the time is they have these like movie ranches, much like the one we see in Nope. In nope, yeah. Uh, nope was filmed on a movie ranch uh, and they would just build these cities and then they could either leave them there and reuse them. So there's a few that have like ghost towns there. Yeah. Or they would just build stuff and then tear it down and build new stuff because they have all this space. In the 60s, the Manson family ends up living on a movie ranch. It's the Spawn Ranch. It's not the same one. Right. But it's in okay. a very similar area. But that's how they're able. That's like their bunker basically is a movie ranch. But that's where they built this town over four acres. It included 75 stores, buildings and businesses. Jesus. A main street a factory district, the entire neighborhood residential area, and a slum apartment area. Main Street is about 300 yards long. So Jeez. that's three whole city blocks. If you've ever been to Disneyland, their Main Street is shorter than the Main Street they built for this Jeez, film. Jeez, that's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Like, I look at Disneyland, Main Street, and kind of the, the area around it, that is smaller than what they built. For this movie. Wow. And that is wild to me. Yeah. Like, so the scene where Jimmy Stewart is running through the snow at the end uh -huh. is filmed in one of the hottest days of the year on July in July. It was so hot <laughs> that A, they had to use way more snow to like keep it looking like snow. But also they had to give people full days off to recuperate after shooting because the heat was so bad. Oh wow. So he's like sweating just running down in the snow yes. that's so funny yeah. uh. <laughs> yep uh now uh the one character who asks for 1750 in the script originally it was just 17 dollars. and right before they started shooting frank capra was like say 1750 kind of like they used to do for stefan on weekend update yeah where you just change it at the last minute so she says 1750 
Jimmy Stewart wasn't ready for it. That's why he like laughs and kisses her in the moment because he thinks it's really funny. And then they kept that take. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, this film is one of five times that Beulah Bondi played Jimmy Stewart's mother. Wow. Uh, she also plays his mother in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Of Human Hearts, Vivacious Lady, The Jimmy Stewart Show, and Identity Crisis. Or The Jimmy Stewart Show, Identity Crisis, and then this movie. So Wild. Apparently, okay, cool. people were just like, she hella looks like his mom, I guess. <laughs> so, now, Frank Capra estimated that the shooting schedule for this film, even, con even considering the heat and giving people full days off, would be shot within 90 days. He was exactly right to the day. Wow. So they, yeah, so they threw an entire party just to celebrate that they were correct. <laughs> That's which awesome. I think was pretty fun. I mean, he was a known filmmaker at the time. Like, he had made a bunch of pictures during the war that were very successful. Yes. Uh, now, according to an interview uh, later, that comes much later, but the name Zuzu comes from Zuzu Ginger Snaps. George actually makes a reference to this in the end of the movie when he says to Zuzu, hey, my little ginger snap. So like he calls it out in the movie. Yeah. OK. But it's just one of those things where like they don't really exist anymore. So it's a reference that's lost on us, kind of like the hee haw. Yeah. Anyway, prior to the Los Angeles release of the movie, uh, they actually put out a huge promotional campaign including daily advertisements, both in newspaper and on the TV, which is one of the first times that it ever happened because there weren't that many TVs in America yet. There are some, but it's not as widespread. Mm -hmm. uh, but radio, they did daily radio announcements as well. Uh, Interesting. Basically promoting the idea that Jimmy Stewart should win an Oscar for, for the movie and that the movie should win an Oscar for Best Picture um, in Los Angeles, where people were actually voting on that. Then, because it came out in New York first... Uh, the New York Daily Times also writes an editorial about believing that Jimmy Stewart should win an Oscar for it. And they get nominated, but they do not win. Yeah, they got nominated for five Oscars. We looked it up. But it was they got nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for James Stewart, Best Director for Frank Capra, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing, but didn't win any. Honestly, it's it's a shame that it was not for cinematography and lighting. Because th those are the ones that I'm like, it should win for that. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is beautiful. The film originally ended to ended with Ode to Joy instead of Old Lang Syne. And it was changed right at the end of production. Really? Okay. So literally, like, days before filming, they were like, it's a different song. Uh, which means they had to change some of the audio for what the little girl was playing on the piano through most of the movie. <gasps> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In 2007... This was ranked as the number 20 greatest movie of all time by AFI. That list is a living list that is constantly updated. Yeah. So I, it will probably not be 20 forever. But as of 2007, it was. Um, now, this original story was actually based on some people say it was based on a postcard. It's not. It's based on a short story that a husband and wife duo end up writing the bulk of the screenplay. Um, but that story passes through several hands and several people who do rewrites, one of whom uh, he doesn't do a rewrite, but he does try to get involved as a producer is Howard Hughes. Really? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he is he was in the movie business. That makes sense. But like, that's yep. cool. So the husband and wife writing team were Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, and they hated Frank Capra, didn't like working with him. Uh, he continually rewrote their script the entire time. So they actually filed arbitration with the Writers Guild to have Capra's name taken off the script. 
but it actually remains on, but so do theirs. So if you look at the credits, there are multiple writers, yeah. but it's because they fought in arbitration for it. Um, this takes on a new name later on in movie history, where sometimes you will hear to people uh, referring to it as Alan Smithying a project. And that's where the guild has determined that you cannot take your name off it, but you can change your name so that it's not attributed to you. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes mm. people write things and they're like, I don't want my name attached to this. And so they Alan Smithy it. And Alan Smithy is the name that usually goes in. Interesting. Uh, but those are your fun facts. Well, thank you for those fun facts. Let's talk a little bit about box office. Now, the box office for this is a little weird because it's a 1947 movie and they did not track that necessarily by weekend, right? Right. I do have like total numbers, but not weekend breakdown. But I do sort of have like a fun story to tell you about the box office and how this became a movie that everyone knows now. Um, the initial budget for the movie was $2 million mm -hmm. because of some trouble they had shooting. That budget sort of inflated to $3.1 million before they were done with it. But it only made about $3.3 million in the box office. So it barely makes, and in some articles online you'll see, it'll say like it didn't quite make its budget back in the theaters. Another movie that was out at the time about someone coming back from the war at, called The Best Years of Our Lives, that movie was in the theater at the same time and did much, much better than It's a Wonderful Life. And people were saying at the time that people went and saw that movie about a guy who went to war instead of this movie about a guy who didn't go to war, if that makes sense. Right. So it right. just didn't do well in the theater. And there was some fallout from that. Uh, Liberty Films, uh, that was one of the producers of the film, had borrowed $1.5 million to make it. And because it didn't make its money back, they sort of folded and got bought uh, by Paramount. And Capra only directed five films after this, none of which were at this level. So he sort of falls a little bit as a director because this movie doesn't do well in the theaters either. Now, in the 70s, actually it was in 1974, the movie entered public domain because someone at Paramount, I assume, forgot to renew the copyright for it. So TV stations could play this movie for free, and they did in mass. So that is how that it became an industry standard Christmas movie, if you will. It didn't do well in theaters. It was just a free movie you could show in the 70s so they would show it and then that's when our parents sort of fell in love with it and then they made us watch it growing up Mikey because they had to watch it growing up because it was on TV and I think mm. that that's super interesting that that like because it was free everyone watched it and then they sort of fell in love with it yeah. after the fact yeah what other lost Christmas movies are out there I know right I, I would love to see the movies from this time that didn't break through yeah like what were those movies movies like but that's your box office i realize it's not the normal thing we do but it's a fun story so mikey do you want to hit him with that romance scale yeah romance scales how romantic we found the film scale of one to ten hey two i was gonna give it a two as well it's not not romantic it's just not super romantic i'm gonna give it a four Okay. That's our romance game. All right. So this week, Mikey, you made us watch It's a Wonderful Life. I guess it's my turn next week, right? Yeah, it is your turn. Yeah. Nice. Week. Because I'm going to make you watch a movie that I think came out last year on uh, Netflix. It was not a theatrical release. Okay. And I have only watched little bits of it as Natalie has watched it five or six times while doing Christmas stuff around the house. Okay. And it stars... 
Carrie Ellis and Brooke Shields in what is essentially a Lifetime movie called A Castle for Christmas. I'm so excited you picked this because I was almost picked this instead of Preacher's Wife. Oh, really? Okay, cool, cool, cool. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about this. I've heard good things. I am here for Carrie Ellis in all his forms. Same. And I will say this. Natalie loves this movie, but I read the description and I was like, okay, I have to know more about this. So I'm looking forward (laughs) to reading it. The description is, to escape a scandal, a best-selling author journeys to Scotland where she falls in love with a castle. And faces off with the grumpy duke who owns it. Is this my future? Because <laughs> the duke would have to murder three people for you to be super interested. I mean, who were the people, though? He threw children off the top of the castle. Oh, but his shoulders, though. From all that child throwing. That's how you get yeah, those yeah, big yeah. shoulders. His shoulders, God. though, is what her tombstone is going to say on it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what movie was that where she was like all over that murder? That was Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. Dude. Yes. That was literally last Monday on Horror Virgin. Um, I like that you said which movie was it? And I was like, there's multiple. There yeah, are multiple. Let's say there are a lot of movies in which you overlook murder for shoulders. So your homework for next week is to get wine drunk. Get whiskey drunk. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So get drunk on some scotch and fall in love. With a grumpy old duke and his castle. Mm-hmm. And then check back next Thursday for that episode. Yes. So, Mikey, do you have a review for us to read? I do. Would you read the most recent yeah, one, please? I knew, I knew you would request that one. Uh-huh. This is from Raptor Myers. Yeah. Mikey is daddy, period, exclamation point. That is the title of the review page. Mikey is daddy, period, exclamation point. This is like when Trixie Mattel named a lipstick, I'm baby. <laughs> When I say period, they spelled out the word period and then put an exclamation point. Yes. Love it. Yeah. I don't really watch rom-coms unless my boyfriend puts one on, but I'm listening to y'all go over the movie every week is such a delight. Why, thank you so much, Raptor Myers. Paige is very informative. Todd is Todd awesome. And Mikey is just so fine. (laughs) I really wish you could see the shade of red Mikey is turning right now. It's so cute. I hope one day to see this magical vitamin water picture because I always get... BDE from Mikey. And Mikey, can you just like let everyone know what BDE stands for if you don't mind? Yeah, it means big dick energy. That is what it means. Yes, they're Mm -hmm. saying no cap. (laughs) Bad bitch, I could be your fantasy. I could show you about big dick energy. (laughs) Keep it up, y'all. Love you guys. Look forward to every week. Five stars. Well, Raptor Myers, I agree. Mikey is daddy, period. And I think it's about time he acknowledges that. You you look like a tomato right now. It's so cute. Oh, well, thank you. And if you want to have Mikey blush at your review, leave us a five-star review. So, um, yeah, guys, if you like this power thruple that we have here on this podcast, make sure to check out our other podcast, The Horror Virgin. And that is the only other podcast that Mikey and I are on. But Paige gets around and she is on two other podcasts. Black Card Rehab and Cult Podcast. So guys, definitely check out those because they're amazing. If you want to follow us on social, we are at Romancing the Pod Show. Yes. On Instagram. And we are at something else on Twitter who I just have never taken the time to learn it. It's just Romancing Pod Show because they have a character limit and it's show, S-H-O, like Showtime. So guys, check that out as well. And if you want to follow us all individually, Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere, including TikTok. 
except for Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. And guys, we got a P.O. box. So if you want to send us some love letters or whatever you might send to a P.O. box, it's actually not a P.O. box. It's like a regular street address. It's pretty awesome. It's 6688 Nolensville Road, number 108-34, Brentwood, Tennessee, 37027. So send us some stuff. Yeah. And that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm Todd. And you complete us. Zuzu pedal pleasion. Merry Christmas. Bye. Yo, building and loan. Yeah.